A warm up from Evo! Welcome to Love Las Vegas for Ghost Girl Suits with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family of Podcasts, and we got ourselves a great podcast today as Joining me in the second segment, Eli Becker. He does terrific work over there at Heat Check CBB. He's going to be joining me, and we're going to be taking a look at what we've all seen thus far this college basketball season, some of the conferences that have overachieved a little bit, some of the conferences that have underachieved. I'm also going to get his take on just what we see with regards to conference play, if he gauges them a little bit differently when they're played in December rather than when they're in January, February, because I always think that that's an interesting dynamic. It's something that we've seen a little bit more of this season as well, so we're going to be having that discussion and then in the final segment going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday as we hit some bank shots first things first always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast and you've got two ways to be able to fire those in first one is my Twitter timeline at squirty one keep in mind letters EM they mean does not matter so as per usual please do send these into the timeline and the other way is find an Apple podcast review if you rate this podcast five stars it is very much appreciated then from there you are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Got one question trying to rank the bottom five power conference teams, but for one, I would need to know which power conference teams you're looking at. Obviously, you've got Pittsburgh in there. Obviously, you've got Oregon State at this point, but it is a case in which I would need to know sort of the context, and if I give you the answer today, well, tomorrow it might wind up changing because we have seen some big-time mediocrity out there, but I will give you the two, Pittsburgh and Oregon State. They are certainly there as of right now, and if you consider the Big East a power conference, Georgetown as well. So there you go with that, but let's take a look at everything that we wound up seeing in college basketball on Tuesday. Try to find some trends and well, we're going to be recapping what was one of the worst beats of the season given out by me. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. If you want to Dale in the New York Post play today, Temple versus Vanderbilt, the under in this game, well, it looked really, really good as you wound up having 85 points on the board with four minutes left in regulation, and it somehow goes over. You literally got in the final nine minutes of the game, 55 points. I mean, good grief. So you wound up having the last 414 of regulation, then you wound up having overtime for that. 72 to 68, 23 points in the final minute of regulation. Scotty Pippen Jr. bangs through a three to be able to force overtime. Then in overtime, you wind up having a calamity. It's just one of those things. I know that many of you guys were frustrated like me. Just one of those cases in which the handicap was good. You have to chalk this up as an outlier and you can't let it affect you too much. It's really, really tough to not have that happen. But with that said, you sort of have to flush it, conclude, okay, I wound up having a good handicap here. Don't change anything that you am doing because this is one in 500 probably that this game winds up going over. I mean, Vanderbilt won four of 26 from three, 16 of 24 from the free throw line. Temple goes 30 of 37 at the free throw line. They were uncharacteristically good at the free throw line. Ty Strickland comes off the bench for 21 points. You wind up having Vanderbilt get 16 apiece from Scotty Pippen Jr. along with Jordan Wright. Wright was able to give the team 11 boards in this game as well, and you wound up having Vanderbilt turn the ball for just nine times to the 16 of Temple, but Vanderbilt looking really rough without Rodney Chapman, along with Leah Barabbins, and boy, I mean, this is just one in which, if you wound up having the under like I did, give yourself maybe a nice beverage to be able to cool down and realize, you know what, you did your job, sometimes the right side just doesn't wind up getting to the window, and 
That's the best advice I can give you there because that is just absolutely brutal. This one was more of the expected result. How about DePaul and what they've been able to do? They're now 7-1 out there in the Big East. They completely throttled Duquesne by a count of 87-67. You got a DePaul team that wound up going 10-21 from three-point range in this one for Duquesne. 6-19 from three-point range for Duquesne. They wind up losing the rebound battle by a count of 43-35. And Javon Freeman Liberty shows out once again. 26 points, 9 boards, 5 assists. I wanted to give you guys a little bit of an offensive game before we wind up getting to what we wound up seeing in Madison Square Garden. Now, I'm doing the look at on Beeson as well. As I'm doing this at the half, Syracuse and Villanova is on pace for a dead under. But, I mean, in game one, I'm able to give you the conclusion of this one. By the way, look at, that is from... 1 to 4 a.m. Eastern Time if you're looking Pacific Time, 10 to 1. So if you wind up listening to this and you're wanting a little bit more reaction, I've got you covered there. But Texas Tech versus Tennessee, 57 to 52 in overtime. I mean, this game could have went to like five overtimes and it might have stayed under. You wound up having Texas Tech go 4 of 24 from three-point range. And they wound up shooting better from three-point range than Tennessee. Went, I'm not even kidding here. 6 of 40. Tennessee went 6 of 40 from three-point range. If you were taking unders in college basketball on Tuesday, well, you were doing some pretty good handicapping because there were some bad performances. You wound up having a team high 10 points and 10 rebounds out of John Fulkerson who wound up having five blocks for Texas Tech. Darren Shannon had 18 points, 12 boards. Oh, I can't, I can't read this without laughing. I, Texas Tech went 15 of 25 at the free throw line. And part of my handicap with this as well is that we have seen so many offenses in the years just crater when they go to Madison Square Garden. This was clearly one of them. Texas Tech was a good money line call, but I we just take a look at some of these offenses and it happens every single year. Whenever a team goes to Madison Square Garden, they forget how to shoot. So that was intriguing. Kansas wound up playing their first under of the year as well. They had played every one of their games to the over. I think that there was one push in there as well, but 78 to 52. They take down UTEP as UTEP goes just 3 of 23 from three-point range Kansas. They were much better at 6 of 20, but Osha Egbaji shows out once again. 23 points, 5 boards. Christian Braun, he's looking relatively solid. 20 points, 6 boards, and you did like to see Jalen Wilson be able to come off the bench. He gave the team 7 rebounds. He's been in a little bit more of a reserve role, so he was able to do his job. That was very refreshing to see. What else was very refreshing to see is, it looks like Michigan is back, ladies and gentlemen. How much are they back? That is to be determined, but they were able to just put a molly walloping onto Nebraska. 102 to 67, as in this game. Nebraska, they couldn't get a lot generated from three point range. Meanwhile, Michigan, they went 15 of 32. Nebraska, 5 of 35 from three point range. So clearly, in up tempo game, you wound up having Nebraska lose the rebound battle by a count of 54 to 38 for Nebraska. They wind up getting 31 points and 8 rebounds out of Alonzo Burge, and nobody else did anything for this team. Meanwhile, for Michigan, Hunter Dickinson, 15 points, 12 boards. You got 20 points out of Brandon Johns off the bench. You were able to get 22 points and 5 boards in 22 minutes out of Terrence Williams a second. So, a very good showing for a Michigan team that they have not had the world's greatest start to the year. That was able to help things out with them. Georgia, they wind up getting a winning cover against a Jacksonville team that took their first against the spread loss of the season, 69-58 to the final. Georgia does this despite the fact that they wound up going 5-20 of from three-point range. Aaron Cook returned to the fold after he missed the Memphis game. Nine points, five boards, five assists. Braylon Bridges had 14 points in this one. And for Georgia, they lose the rebound battle by a kind of 38-30, to but... For Jacksonville, it's a team that has not done a good job of being able to take care of the ball. Actually, in the bottom 15 with regards to turnovers on a per-possession basis, 17 in this one. So, that was a little bit rough. Missouri, they got a win and cover against Eastern Illinois by kind of 72-44. to 44. Missouri has been, shall we say, not a great team, but Eastern Illinois, this 
program is just in a ton of disarray. Missouri wins this game by 28 despite going 2 of 19 from 3-point range. They have been solid to the under thus far. You had Kobe Brown give you 11 points, 11 rebounds, and for Missouri, they forced Eastern Illinois into 19 turnovers. 13 of them were of the live ball variety, so that is not great now. Southern is looking like a team that might be a little bit pesky out there in the SWAC. You wound up seeing Texas Southern be able to get the outright win against Florida on Monday and on Tuesday, Southern. They wound up actually giving Kentucky a relatively good test. 76-64, they lose, but they were able to cover what was pretty much like 30 points in this game. Oscar Sheboy, very solid down low. 23 points, 11 boards, 4 blocks, but for Kentucky, they do go just 14 of 23 from the free throw line, and Southern, they won 11 of 12. They were able to get a combined 30 points out of Jaden Sadler along Tyron Lewis, so you got to give them a little bit of credit for that performance. Got to give some credit to Butler. This is a game that is in overtime as I record this, but they wind up being able to rally from down double digits, and Chuck Harris came off the bench in regulation with 21 points for a Butler team that they've been without Miles Tate for much of the season. They've been without Bo Hodges as well, and they were able to find a way to be able to force overtime against Oklahoma. As Oklahoma, 7 of 27 from three-point range. They did wind up having in regulation Tanner Groves be able to give the team 10 points, so that was certainly one that was intriguing to say the least, as we wound up having a lot of overtime games that while I'm doing going down in college basketball on Tuesday, but another one that is noteworthy, Santa Clara. How about their offense scoring 88 points on one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball, Mount St. Mary's in. The Mount got 77 points of their own. 88 to 77 was the final in this one. The Mount was catching 16 points, so they were able to get there, but for Mount St. Mary's, Nana Akpu was able to chip in there. 18 points. He was able to chip in there. Eight boards as well. But you take a look at the Santa Clara team. They went 18 of 22 at the free throw line. Shot 58% from the floor. So they did darn near everything right in that. Loyal Marymount. They wind up going on the road. And they wind up getting a nice one against Tulsa by a count of 60 to 55. Tulsa was a slight favorite. And this one, Eli Scott just stuffed the stat sheet with 19 points, 11 boards. And then you were able to get 18 at 11 out of Domain Douglas as Loyal Marymount. They wind up going just 10 of 15 at the free throw line. But Tulsa they lost this game with the line. 6 of 11 at the charity stripe, 3 of 16 from 3-point range. Might be a long year for the Solso team as Sam Griffin was able to chip in their 16 points, but you really didn't have much else from anyone else, and they wind up losing the rebound battle by kind of 40 to 25. It just cannot happen for Tulsa. This wound up happening for Belmont. A very low-scoring game. Belmont is typically a team that is one of the most efficient in all of college basketball and offense, but on this site, it was their defense that willed them to victory over St. Louis. 64 to 59 as St. Louis goes just 4 of 14 from three-point range. It was a case in which St. Louis wound up winning the rebound battle by kind of 40 to 32, but what was big for Belmont, the fact that they wound up having 15 points, 6 boards out of Will Richard. He has been able to step up recently for this team. And for Belmont, what they did a very good job of, they were able to generate 13 steals in this game as 13 out of the 14 turnovers committed by St. Louis. They were live ball turnovers. Belmont turned those into points and they were able to get it done. Charleston has been the number one team with regards to pace of play in all of college basketball. And after just 64 points in the first half, the total of 149.5, it goes over thanks to 32 points in the final four minutes of this game. Charleston takes down Tulane by kind of 86-72. to Got to give credit to Pat Kelsey and the job that he's doing as the coach of the team, but despite 18 turnovers, Charleston, they're able to get it done thanks to being able to get 15 points out of their main man in Rene Smith, but you wound up having for Charleston the whole be greater than the sum of its parts as five different guys wind up getting at least 10 points in this game. Meanwhile for Tulane, they go 7 of 18 from three-point range. They were able to do a solid job there, but Tulane loses a rebound battle by a count of 40 to 29, so a money line underdog winner there. 
for Charleston and a big giant over. You wound up having George Mason playing over against Navy by kind of 72 to 65. So they were able to write the ship there as George Mason winds up closing this game. A four and a half point favorite. I felt like the market had been crashing down on them a little bit too far and if you were trying to take a look at another good over, how about Winthrop versus Furman? 85 to 80. Winthrop is able to get it done. They were right around a two point home underdog as Winthrop. Certainly not what they've been in the past, but this is still a team that is able to stroke it from three. How about nine of 17 from three point range as he wound up having Michael Anuma wind up going three of three from distance. He had 18 points. And for Furman, they went 15 of 36 from three point range. Mike Bothwell, Alex Hunter, they combined for 34 points, but not a lot off the bench. Jalen Slauson wound up giving the team 15 points, 10 rebounds, 12 assists. So a triple-double in a losing effort, but for Winthrop, they wind up committing 10 turnovers to Furman's 12, and for Furman, they wind up going 9 of 11 at the free throw line. Winthrop, they hit theirs, going 10 of 12. So that was a highly entertaining game, and oh, how the mighty have fallen when it comes to Virginia. They go on the road, and they lose outright to James Madison by a count of 52 to 49, Virginia. Goes 4 of 26 from 3-point range. James Madison wasn't terrific themselves going 4 of 13, but they certainly were able to do just enough in this game as you did not have a single player on James Madison. Give you double figures. Jaden Gardner, he was trying to do it all for Virginia. 12 points, 14 boards, but the team just couldn't hit from 3-point range. K.A. Clark, he went 3 of 9 from 3, and you know what that means. The rest of the team went 1 of 17 from distance. So, that was not necessarily great for Virginia. We're going to be talking a little bit more in the next segment with Eli about what we've all seen from the ACC and you did wind up seeing USC be able to get a nice win over Eastern Kentucky as well but when it comes to what we've all seen in college basketball it's now been relatively equal with regards to overs and unders we recall at the beginning of the season we wound up seeing a whole bunch of unders to lead off the season but you just take a look at the last seven days in college basketball 151 overs 129 unders as I record this so about 54% of games have went over the total and home underdogs actually haven't been too profitable against the spread 32 30 and 2 as I record this so I do think that that is going to reverse itself. Something that always remains steady though. Our man Eli Becker over there at Heat Check CBB providing great content. He's going to be joining me next. We're going to be talking about these conference games that we're seeing if he gauges them a little bit differently than conference games that are played in say January and February. Also going to be talking about some of the bigger surprises that we've seen in college basketball this season and we're going to be also talking about a couple of games for Wednesday. That is on the other side right here on Coast to Coast Hoops with myself Greg Peter and now a part of the VEASAN Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. 
basically everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Number right here, love you, Las Vegas, for Ghost Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and it is great to be joined by our guests as this man does a terrific job over there at Heat Check CBB. He is the founder of that wonderful network. He is out here on the West Coast, much like myself, does a great job being able to contribute for a wide variety of places. He's over there at All Access Network as well. He does a little bit of work when it comes to the Clutch Point Sports app as well. list goes on and on. As we do have Eli Becker on the podcast, you are able to follow him on Twitter. At his name, Betker underscore Eli, last name is spelled B-O-E-T-T-G-E-R. Also does some work with Athletic Director U as well. And Eli, it is great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Greg. It is great to have you aboard. And it is great that we've got pretty much a first month of the season out of the way as we're doing this. Four weeks of games have been played. And what has really stood out to you above all things? Because we've seen quite a few surprise conferences and teams for better or for worse. But what has really been your biggest takeaway from this first month of the season? I think as far as in more of an abstract approach, I think it's just pretty jarring what it's been looking like with so many of these home arenas now filled with fans and just impact that home court advantages have in the world of college basketball. And we've seen it every night. It seems that a top 25 team has a struggle with an unranked opponent or even is upset by an unranked opponent. And I just think this speaks to not only the presence that fans have in the world of college basketball, but also just a slim margin between high major talent and mid-major and low-major teams. And as we've seen throughout the years, and especially this season with the extra year that the NCAA has granted, a lot of these players that transferred from high-major programs over to the mid-major or low-major ranks are having pretty significant impacts. And I think it just speaks to the level of playing college basketball where there really isn't that much of a divide between the high major programs and the rest of college basketball at large. So I think we'll see that trend continue. But when we have conferences like the WCC that has probably four or five at-large contenders, Mountain West has a handful. I think that it speaks to just the college basketball landscape as a whole. And a lot of these mid-major conferences could potentially vie for more at-large bids than some other leagues such as the ACC or the Pac-12. 
I'm in total agreement with you on that. And when it comes to West Coast mid-major college basketball as well, I'm sure that you've been following this. Been very impressed by the Big West. Now, do I think that they're going to be a two-bid league? No, but I think whoever winds up getting in from the Big West, unless if you have something incredibly random like Hawaii winds up sneaking up and winds up winning like the conference tournament, I take a look at a lot of these teams. I think that a lot of them are going to be a very tough out in the NCAA tournament and just throughout the rest of this non-conference late, they're going to be providing you value if you're looking to bet on them. I'm talking about teams like UC Riverside who wound up pushing Oregon to the brink. They have that outright win against Arizona State. They look solid. UC Irvine has already knocked off Boise State. UC Santa Barbara is a good bunch as well. And I take a look at the Big West and out of all the conferences, because obviously we could talk about the surprises among some of the major ones like the Big East, the Big 12 has looked very solid. But among mid-majors, I have been... Most surprised to the better for them. Yeah, the Big West has been a conference that I would say has been on the rise. And I think last year was somewhat of a breakout for this league. And just as far as a marketing standpoint is concerned, the Big West had several games last season on ESPN2 or even on ESPN. I think that was great exposure for this conference that had three teams right around the top 100 or better in Kenpon last season. UC Santa Barbara being the representative in last year's tournament, nearly upset Creighton in the first round and a pretty wild finish, but it's a solid first tier in this conference. UC Irvine is always going to be a tough out under Russ Turner. This is consistently an extremely tall and athletic group. Colin Velp is as talented as they come. That's a, that is a roster that has a lot of players who can play multiple positions with size and they can shoot the three ball really well. UC Santa Barbara, again this season, they've had some tough outings, but I think that this is a, a program moving forward that should be in really good shape. I love Amadou So and just what he brings to this roster in terms of a four who can still play at a variety of positions and teaming up with some other guys like Miles Norris and Josh Pierre-Lewis, the team that can shoot the ball extremely well and also get to the free throw line. And as you mentioned, UC Riverside has been on my radar for a little over a season now. Mike Magpaya, who took over as an interim head coach, and he knows how to coach defense of basketball. I think this team's best offensive days are still ahead of them, especially with Zion Poland running the point, who's an extremely capable lead guard, but it's a team that defends really well. And the way that they've competed against the likes of, you know, beating Arizona State on that extremely wild buzzer beater and also giving Oregon, St. Mary's and San Diego State uh, pretty valiant efforts. I think that each of these three teams are worth keeping on your radar. It's a league that has a lot of size, has high major type size, and plays defense at a very high rate. And I think each of those three teams are great defensive teams. And traditionally, that leads to potential first-round upsets. So it's a, it's definitely a mid-major conference worth looking at. I totally agree with you. I do think that the Big West in general has a lot of good teams in it. And I think that that is coming out right now as we do have Eli Becker of EchexCBB. He is the founder of that terrific network. And he is joining me right here on the podcast and when it comes to everything that we're going to be seeing in college basketball on Wednesday, very interesting that we wind up actually having a conference game between Wisconsin and Indiana. I think that that's going to be very intriguing. You've also got Michigan State and Minnesota. And when it comes to just gauging these conference games that we're seeing in December, whether that be the Big Ten, whether that be the Pac-12, ACC, list goes on and on. Do you view these a little bit differently than you do some of the conference games that we wind up seeing in January and February? Because it just, in my mind, it's still a little bit weird to be seeing conference games popping up in very early December. So I just always find it curious what people's thoughts are with regards to this, because I personally think that they're relatively equal just because 
you do still have these teams that are getting up for it. It's not like it's game number one of the season like we wound up seeing with the ACC a few years ago. But what are your thoughts on the games that are played in December when it comes to conference play rather than January and February? Yeah, it is a pretty new dynamic that a lot of conferences have moved to playing a handful of games traditionally too before the end of that first semester break. But I do think it presents a different opportunity for different teams just based on where they're at. I think some of the programs that have slipped down their conference ladder could look to, you know, notch a pretty important conference victory before we head out to the holidays. But I think overall, it is somewhat of a measuring stick. And as you mentioned with Wednesday slate, I think there are some teams here that are participating in games that could be used, as I mentioned, as somewhat of a measuring stick. I think Minnesota off to a 7-0 and start. This is a Gophers team that a lot of people projected to finish last in the Big Ten after their coaching transition from Richard Pitino to Ben Johnson. And even after the road victory against Mississippi State over the weekend, I think a lot of people aren't exactly sure what to make of Minnesota. And, you know, in a week we'll know a lot more because they'll be taking on both of the Michigan schools, um, Spartans and the Wolverines. And that is about as tough as it gets. So if Minnesota can split those two or potentially even win both, we know that this is a very legit Gophers team. But if Minnesota does go 0-2, I think it's worth noting that maybe this team isn't quite as far ahead of schedule as some may have assumed. So I think it really isn't that much more than someone of measuring stick. And it is an opportunity for the programs that were probably picked lower to get a head start. We've seen it happen in the ACC with Wake Forest. We've seen other teams get off to a quick start to notch a game or two to start league play. That's a big deal. And I think that could go a long way, especially for a team like Minnesota that has a pretty daunting schedule upcoming. I totally agree with you. I do think that we're going to be able to find out a little bit more about some of these teams that have gotten off to a hot start. I do like the fact that you wanted bringing up Minnesota as well, that big win that they wound up having against Mississippi State. That really changed my opinion of them a little bit because they had been beating up on, let's call it what it is, a little bit of lesser competition. So that was huge for them. What else is big is that we've got the Big 12 versus Big East challenge that is going on right now because we saw in the Cavett games, the Big East looked relatively solid. As we're doing this right now, we've had a few games that wound up going final in this challenge. And wouldn't you know it? The Big East has actually looked relatively solid in this one again. How surprised have you been by the Big East with regards to both this challenge and just the season as a whole? Because I did think that Villanova was by far the number one team in this conference, and then it was pretty much everyone else who was. Let's call it what it was. I thought that they were somewhat mediocre, but right now the rest of the teams in this conference are proving otherwise. Yeah, it's a conference that I think is deeper than I would have expected heading into the season. I'd still say that Villanova is far and away the favorite in this league, and I don't expect that to change anytime soon, even though the Wildcats dropped a couple of games early in the season, but it was to UCLA and Purdue, and we know just how good those two programs are. But I think that second tier, if you want to call it that, the likes of possibly UConn, Xavier, Seton Hall, probably throw Providence into that mix, maybe even St. John's, even though they've been a little bit shaky. That's a pretty solid group right there. And that's even without mentioning Marquette under Shaka Smart that's played a very great brand of basketball thus far. And they've already beaten the likes of Illinois, Ole Miss, West Virginia, also gave Wisconsin a, a decent run on the road. So I think the depth of the Big East is is stronger than I would have guessed. And even some of the lower ranks in this league, I think DePaul starting off 6-1, and one, they had a pretty solid effort against Loyola Chicago, which was their first gut check of the season. It's nice to see a team like even DePaul getting a bit ahead of schedule. Creighton's had some close calls, but even they are off to a 7-2 and two start and have played pretty well in some of their bigger contests. So 
I think overall, just when you look at the league, there's going to be a lot more quality of victories handed out than I think I would have assumed heading into the season. I think the Big East's depth has been a little bit suspect over the years. It's been, I would say, somewhat top-heavy as opposed to a handful of teams getting into the tournament. But now I think there are a lot of teams that could hand out potentially quad two, quad one victories, which are just so important for the selection committee in terms of selecting bids for the NCAA tournament. And that's a really big deal. So I think at this juncture, you could easily expect four or five, maybe even six teams getting into the tournament based on what it looks like right now. And that's just a great sign for the biggest moving forward, especially considering Villanova still very much a Final Four candidate. I think UConn is at least an Elite Eight, Sweet 16 type team. So it's it's a pretty solid start for the Big East overall. I agree with you. It has been a very good start for the Big East as we do have Eli Becker joining me on the podcast. And when it comes to another power conference, the ACC, it has been the opposite for them. We've got two teams that are going to be in action on Wednesday. Miami's going to be taking on Lipscomb. Virginia Tech's going to be taking on Cornell. If either of those two teams wind up losing, well, it's going to be a case in which a bad season winds up getting worse for the ACC. But when you take a look at the conference, not sure if you see it any different than I do, but I think that Duke is very much your clear number one. I do think that Virginia Tech, who is going to be in action, they're going to be able to do some quality things. They wound up having a rough go of it in New York about a week and a half ago. But by and large, take a look at them. They look pretty solid. And UNC seems to be figuring it out a little bit as well. But when you take a look at the ACC, I think that in a 15-team league, you could wind up seeing like, four or five teams wind up making the NCAA tournament at this point. And that's just very uncharacteristic of this conference. I have questioned the ACC's depth this year. I think it's really worth noting. There is one team in the AP top 25 in Duke out of the ACC. That's it. And that is not what you have come to expect out of the ACC in recent years, but it's true. I think that second tier of the league, even the third tier, it's a lot weaker than we probably assume. Virginia Tech is a team that I was extremely high on. I thought this was a top 10, potentially top 15 caliber team heading into the season. They have not looked the part. They were absolutely dismantled by Wake Forest over the weekend, which is a a really tough look for the Hokies team. I think they eventually figure it out, but I don't think the ceiling is as high as I was expecting heading into the season. But Syracuse has been a disappointment. Their defense has been a disaster. They gave up 100 points to Colgate and had some really tough defensive outings. Virginia has been a bit of a mess. Some of these teams, North Carolina had its bumps, but I think that they're kind of on the mend. That's another team that's had its struggles defensively. Clemson has given up some huge leads and been unable to finish. Florida State has some growth to do as well. So it's just a lot of unknowns. And I think eventually a few teams will emerge and stack up a handful of wins in league play, which will help the ACC probably still wind up getting, I would say, probably five or six bids. But in terms of second weekend caliber teams, elite eight caliber teams, I think it's Duke. And I don't really know who else is going to join them. I think Louisville, now that Chris Mack has returned, I think they will be in fine shape, but they had a tough challenge against NC State. Pretty much every team in this league outside of Duke has a question on either the offensive or the defensive side of the basketball. So there are a ton of question marks in this league. And unless you're a top three, top four team in the ACC, there are some serious questions about whether or not you're able to compete for an NCAA tournament at large bid. And that is especially concerning for the ACC, which is known traditionally as one of the best conferences in college basketball. Yeah, it certainly has been a case of how the mighty have fallen with regards to the ACC. But in the case of this podcast, it's how the mighty just continue to rise. Eli, you just continue to do great stuff, my friend. You're over there at Heat Check CBB 
doing a great job covering the sport of college basketball. I know that you're doing things with other networks as well. All Access Network, along with Athletic Directors, you, Clutch Point Sports staff, list goes on and on. So always appreciate you joining this podcast. I love the good people at home. Know how they're able to get a little bit more of your work and follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, thanks so much, Greg. And you can follow our work as always at heatcheckcbb.com. Our social media handles are at heatcheckcbb as well. We're Plugging away, doing things on the daily, projecting the rest of the season, all the happenings in between. So looking forward to it. Great time of year. Now we can start talking about the net rankings that were out Monday evening. So plenty to digest over the handful of coming months. So we're looking forward to it. I am as well. It's going to be really interesting to see what we wind up getting out of those because the net rankings, they always seem to be a little bit random, especially when you have a team like Colgate last year being in the top 10 of them and wind up getting a 14 seed. So that was obviously something that was a little bit of an issue, but I think that they're going to be a little bit more reined in this year. Eli is always reining it in with his great work over there at Heat Check CBB, has joined me quite a bit on this podcast and delivered the goods once again. So big thanks to him for joining me right here on Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the VEASAN family podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you a signed total on every game on the college basketball betting board for this Wednesday as we hit some thanks shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And we're back here, Lovey Las Vegas, for Just Cause Hoops with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family of Podcasts, and a big thanks to our man over there with Heat Check CBB, Eli Becker, the founder of that great network. He does absolutely terrific work out here on the West Coast, looking at all forms of college basketball, and does a great job when it comes to his work over there at Athletic Director U, along with the Clutch Point Sports app. So, big thanks to him. Now it is that time the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Wednesday. As we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GRNSCORTY1. We're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order with these. This is actually the way that a lot of apps, a lot of websites wind up organizing their games. And when you come out here to Las Vegas, rather than saying, oh, I want to bet on... Southeast Missouri State, instead of saying that you want to bet on the team, you would actually give the rotation number of 690. So we'll go with the games with three digits first, and then the games with six digits on the extra games board that is going to be coming at the end. As we do go with this first game of 671, 672 on the betting board, you've got Xavier and the X-Men are going to be playing us at Ball State. Ball State finds themselves anywhere between 18.5 and 19-point underdogs. Your tallest game is anywhere between 148.5 and 149.5. Now, when you take a look at Ball State, since the beginning of the 2020-21 season, they are a top-five team to the over, but you take a look at the Xavier team as well. They have been doing a very good and stifling job on defense. You take a look at them in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. They're relatively solid on offense, but on defense, they have really been dominant as well. I do think that Xavier is still going to be still trying to re-implement Zach Fremantle. He's been back for two games. Hasn't looked like himself. Has only been able to give you right around 13 minutes per game. So he does absolutely nothing for me in this game because I still think that he's going to be on sort of a pitch count. But you take a look at what you've been able to get out of Adam Kunkel. Now shooting 38% from three. That's solid. Nate Johnson has been on fire. 14 and a half points. He's shooting 48% from three. Paul Scruggs has been having his turnover woes. Has been able to give the team four assists. Now when it comes to Ball State, it's a team that they don't force a lot of seals. So that's going to play into their advantage. But when it comes to Ball State, you do have good three-point shooting when it comes to this team. You've got three out of your top four scores, shooting at least 40.5% from three-point range. You've been able to get the Northern Illinois transfer, Tyler Cochran, going 9.5 points, 5.5 boards, 3 assists. He's been able to fill it up, shooting over 40% from distance. Luke Bumbleu, 13.5 points, 3.5 boards, 3.5 assists. Very good name to say. He has been solved from three-point range as well. And then I do think that Myrene Thomas is going to be able to give you something as well. Six-foot-eight combo player. He's been able to give this team 10 points. He's hauling in there five boards. So that's been rock solid. Now Xavier is going to have a good matchup advantage on the glass. Peyton Sparks has been able to give this Ball State team right around six rebounds per game. But then you take a look at Kobe Jones, nearly 10 boards per game. He's been able to give the team right around 13 points per contest. Also, he's been able to dish out three and a half assists per game. That versatility is big, but I do think that the three-point shooting of Ball State is going to be able to keep them live. Xavier, a team that is solid at being able to guard the three, but not necessarily great as well. So I set this line at 15. I think that 19 here, we've went a little bit too far. And with Xavier, I do think that they're going to do a good job on the glass, keep this thing a little bit more controlled. So set this out at 140. So, diving under, and I'm going to be taking the points with Ball State. 673, 674 on the bang board. You've got Penn and the Quakers. Hit the road to face off against St. Joe's. St. Joe's hopes to not be average Joe's as three and a half point favorites. And your total on this game is between 146 and 146.5. Now, this is a line that I made three and a half myself. Right now, we're seeing a lot of the three and a halfs with minus 115 juice at places more on the East Coast. So, got to think that this will probably get to four. And if it gets a four, it would be a take on Penn because I lined this at three and a half personally. So, I'm waiting on a little bit of a line move. If we get to three or lower, then I'll be pulling the trigger. 
trigger on St. Joe's. So it's one of these wait and see mode games for me. Now, if it were to be three and a half and three and a half only, then I'd be looking to take it with Penn before I'd be willing to lay it with St. Joe's just because with St. Joe's, this is a bunch that they're not playing a lot of defense right now. We're going to call it what it is. This is a team that with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, one of the lesser ones in college basketball. And then on the flip side for Penn, Jordan Dingle has been able to give this team 20 points per game. Now, the big problem that you have with Penn, you don't have a lot of rebounding with this team. Max Martz has been the top rebounder for this team right around six boards per game. You want him missing a couple games earlier this season. He is back, and that's going to be big for this team because they don't necessarily have a ton of size. You've been able to have someone give you right around 10 points per game in Jonah Charles, but really outside of Dingle, you don't necessarily have a lot of ancillary pieces, but as a collective, they do shoot 36.5% from three, 71.5% free throw line in St. Joe's. They're a little bit of a top-heavy team as well. They've got three guys that are able to pour it in there. Taylor Funk has a funk. Right around six boards, 15 points, shooting 49% from three as a six-foot-eight combo player. Jordan All does it all. 14 points, six half boards, six assists, steal and a half per game. Not necessarily a great shooter, but able to do a solid job there. And then you've got Mr. Ijike Obiana, who's been able to give the team 12.5 points, seven boards as the Vanderbilt transfer. Past that, you really don't have much else. You need someone like Cameron Brown, who's been able to give the team eight points per game, but is only shooting 26.5% from three to step up with St. Joe's as well. And a tight spread, they shoot 65% at the free throw line, 14 turnovers per game, and they just play the Casper style of defense. Meanwhile, Nick Spinoso has been able to do an okay job for Penn. Down low as a freshman, right around five and a half points, four and a half rebounds. He did wind up getting a little bit banged up, though. He's probably going to be out for this game, or else I will be setting Penn more around a two and a half to a two-point underdog. So that wound up factoring into this a little bit as well. But I do think that someone like a Jelani Williams going to be able to step up. He's been able to right around 43% of his threes with darn near seven points per game. So here in this spot, set the line at three and a half. At three and a half, I'd be willing to take Penn a little bit more, but waiting for this to get to either a square four or a square three. So waiting there and with St. Joe's just lack of defensive efficiency and the fact that I think he wind up getting late game felling said this all at 152. So looking at an over 675, 676 on the betting board. Western Carolina is going to be playing us to Tennessee Tech. Tennessee Tech is a two point underdog in your turn on this game. So we're between 143 and a half and 144. So Western Carolina is a three and a half point favorite. I think that these teams are pretty dead equal on a neutral court. You take a look at this Tennessee Tech squad and it certainly has been a team that they've had a couple of deficiencies whenever they've hit the road and then you take a look at Western Carolina and right now it's really been the Nicholas Robinson show. Comes in from Valparaiso, 14 points, 8 boards, 3 assists, shooting 45% from 3 as a six foot six combo player. I think he's going to be the best player out there on the floor. Now, Keyshawn Davidson along Junior Clay, both of these guys have been rock solid for this Tennessee Tech squad out there in the backcourt. They're combining for 23.5 points. They're combining for darn near 9 assists. Clay, 2.5 seals per game. Davidson shooting 53% from 3. Tennessee Tech outside of him though. As a collective shooting about 30% from 3. Tennessee Tech also shoots 65% the free throw line with 14 turnovers per game. They don't necessarily generate a lot themselves. Amandu Ciela, along Mohamed Dioria, both of these guys are both giving you right around five and a half rebounds per game. Western Carolina, not necessarily great on glass, but you have been able to get right around 10 points, five boards out of Travion McCray. He's been a good combo player for this team. He's been a little bit banged up this year, but you also have Kansas State transfer Joe Petrakis. At six foot ten, he's bearing 42% of his threes with eight points, three and a half boards per game. I think that that combination of being able to shoot the three along with size is really going to cause some havoc on this Tennessee Tech team. You do have Western Carolina shooting about 38% for three turnovers are a woe, but Tennessee Tech not necessarily forcing a lot of turnovers themselves. So I do wind up making Western Carolina a three and a half point favorite. Got a pair of teams that they're a little bit faster, but a little bit more reckless with it as well. And with Tennessee Tech not shooting well at the free throw line, did wind up saying the total at a 143. So 
taking the 144 under and laying the points with Western Carolina. 677, 678 on the betting board. Northern Kentucky is going to be playing as Kenesha. The Golden Griffins are a 7.5 point underdog with your total on this game. Anywhere team 141.5 at 142. The Norths are one of just five teams that have yet to cover a point spread this year, so it certainly has not necessarily been a great year for them, but I did wind up setting them in this spot at 10 point favorite. I take a look at Kenesha saying they have not necessarily been the world's greatest against the spread team themselves at 2 and 6, and you do have Malik Green when it comes to Kenesha. He's been able to give this team 15.5 points, 7 boards, shooting in the mid 30s from 3 point range, as a little bit of a 6 foot 7 combo player, but I do take a look at Northern Kentucky, and it does seem like they're now getting a little bit more out of Marcus Warwick. He wound up having a rough start to begin the year, has been able to give the team 14 plus points in two of the last three games. Last year as a freshman, had 16 points, shot 36% from three. That is down to about 26% this year. So that's been a little bit of an issue for them. I think that they should be able to win the battle down low. Adrian Nelson, 8 points, 8.4 boards per game. So he's going to be the best rebounder in this game. And then when you take a look at Northern Kentucky, they are turning the ball over 15 times per game. You've got a Kenesha sponge at. On the other side, they get right around 7.5 steals per game. But Northern Kentucky, they generate 9. And when it comes to Kenesha's, they don't turn the ball over a ton. But at the same time, they're not necessarily efficient with their shot taking. They shoot under 40% from the floor. You've been able to get right around 10 points per game out of Jordan Henderson. So he's been able to contribute a little bit. Yako Fritz is someone that I was expecting a lot more from. 7.5 points, 6.5 boards as a 6 foot 10 combo player and is able to pop threes. Doesn't necessarily pop them very well though. Canisius with regards to defensive efficiency has not been there. And then when it comes to Trayvon Faulkner as well. Very good versatile player for this Northern Kentucky team. 12.5 points, 2.5 assists, shooting 45% from three. A little bit over a steal per game. I think that this is going to be a game which we do see it kicked up tempo a little bit more. Northern Kentucky, more of a controlled style team. Kenesha has been looking to push a tempo a little bit more. And I do think that if you wind up getting a game in which it's like an 8 to 10 point differential with a minute left, Kenesha is the type of team that is going to fell. So, set this one up 144. I'm looking at it over. And said Northern Kentucky is a 10 point favorite. I'd like them to be able to get their first cover here. So, laying the points and taking the over. 679, 680 on the betting board. Wisconsin is going to be playing with Indiana. Who's your daddy? The Hoosiers are a 3.5 point underdog in your total on game. It is between 132 and a half and 133. Not often that I take Wisconsin overs, but I wound up saying this total at 133 and a half. If you take a look at Indiana, they have actually been playing very much on Temple. This is a team that's in the top 25 with regards to possessions on a per game basis. And you take a look at Wisconsin, they are just so gosh darn efficient. Right around nine turnovers per game. Johnny Davis along with Brad Davison are right now combining for 36 points per game, 11 boards. You've got Davis shooting 41% from three-point range. Down low, I do like what I've seen out of Tyler Wall. He and Steven Crawl have been able to combine for in the pocket of about 17 points, 10 boards. So they've been able to do some good work with Wall, a block and a half per game as well now. Trace Jackson Davis is going to be able to get his way down low. 21 points, right around eight boards per game. Race Thompson has been able to chip in their nine boards per game. But when it comes to Indiana, Turnovers are a woe. 16 and a half per game. Now Wisconsin, they don't force a lot of turnovers, but with Jackson Davis as well. Right around four blocks per game, but the good news for Wisconsin is they take a lot of their shots from the outside, so that's going to be able to help them out. Xavier Johnson, guy that's able to chip in their 10 and a half points per game, shooting 50% from three. Indiana's collective, shooting 37.5% from distance, so I do think that you're going to have a pair of teams that do wind up making their threes, and I do think that you wind up getting late game felling, and who does that favor? A team that's shooting 79.5% at the free throw line in the Wisconsin and Badgers. I do think that they're going to be able to get it done in this spot. I do think that they lose the battle on the glass, but win the battle in the backcourt. I do think that the crowd out there at the Kohl Center are going to be able to help out Wisconsin as well as Indiana. Going to have a true road test, and I don't know if they're going to be up for it. So Wisconsin has a 5.5 point favorite laying it here. Set this total at 133.5, so going over as well.
681, 682 on the betting board. Youngstown State is going to be playing us as Central Michigan. Central Michigan is finding themselves as a 9.5 to a 10-point underdog with your total any between 144.5 and 145. I wound up setting Youngstown State as a 9-point favorite, so I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Central Michigan now. With Central Michigan, efficiency has not necessarily been there with this team, but you do take a look at the schedule that Central Michigan has played as well, and I do think that that needs to be factored in when you wind up playing Xavier, when you wind up playing against Kentucky, Gonzaga, list goes on and on. You're going to get pummeled in some of those games. And you do take a look at the Central Michigan team, and I do like who is out there in the backcourt for them. That would be Jermaine Jackson Jr., a guy that's able to give you 11.5 points, along with three assists per game. So I do think that he's going to be out of this game. That's how I'm going to be handicapping it, or else I would have Central Michigan more around like a 7.5 to an 8-point underdog. But Ralph Bizenthe, he has been able to come back for this team. He, along with Morris Lafstaffel, a pair of guys besides Zonlo, combining for right around 13 points. Bizenthe, right around seven boards and nearly two blocks per game. So he's been able to pick it up for a team that hasn't had a lot down low as a collective. Central Michigan is shooting right in the pocket of about 36.5% from three. Harrison Henderson has some versatility, giving you nine points, four boards per game. And when you take a look at the backcourt of this team, you have been able to get Kevin Miller going two assists, eight and a half points in the game in which you wind up having Jermaine Jackson out of the fold. He had 15 points and six assists and three turnovers. So he actually had himself a relatively decent game. Then for Youngstown State, Michael Lacucci, 15 and a half points. Eight boards. Going to be the best low post player in this game. And then you take a look at the backcourt with Garrett Covington along Shamir Rathan Mays for this Young Sound State team. A combined 21 points, eight and a half rebounds. Rathan Mays is shooting 47% from three, but as a collective, Young Sound State only shoots 32% from three. Now, what I like about Young Sound State. They don't turn the ball over. They're turning the ball over nine times per game. They shoot 77.5% at the free throw line. They do the little things well, but at the same time as well, you just take a look at this bunch. You really don't have much outside of your main four. You've also been able to get right around 13.5 points per game out of Tevin Olison. He's been able to shoot only about 30% from three-point range himself, so I do think that depth is going to be a little bit of an issue. You've been dealing with an injury to Owen Long, who has missed a few games. He wanted coming back for that game against UW-Green Bay, but didn't look like himself. Zero points in that one, so I do take a look at this spot, even though it's Central Michigan is a little bit banged up out there in the backcourt. Set them as a nine-point underdog. Made this all 137 as well. Youngstown State has been playing at a slow and controlled pace, doing a good job of not turning the ball over, but at the same time, not very explosive. I think that you're going to have a lot of possessions in which you wind up having a long shot clock, one shot taken, and then the team winds up missing, and you just wind up having a harmless rebound. So, taking a look at the under in the spot, and I'm willing to take the tenure with the chips. 683, 684 on the betting board. Eastern Michigan is going to be playing with Niagara. Purple Eagles are finding themselves as a pick them to a one-point underdog, and your tallest game is between 137 and 137 and When it comes to Niagara, you've been able to get Marcus Hammond to be Mr. Do-It-All for this team. 18 points, 4.5 boards, shooting 35.5% from three-point range, so he has been rock solid, has given the team 17-plus points in three of the team's last five games, but you take a look at the flip side for Eastern Michigan. This team is in the top five with regards to possessions per game. They are cranking it up, Niagara. They're in the bottom 40 when it comes to possessions per game, so you actually do have a little bit of a case of the tortoise in the air. The problem for Eastern Michigan is that they're just not efficient. They do shoot 35.5% from three, but they turn the ball over 14.5 times per game. They don't do a great job on the glass either. You've got one guy, despite the fact that they play so fast, giving you more than five rebounds per game. That'd be Nate Scott giving you six points, 5.3 rebounds per game. So, as an SC been too special there, Monte Scott has been able to get the same 16 points per game. And then Noah Farkasson has been able to do a good job. He's been able to shoot about 46% from three, 17 and a half points per game. But take a look at him when he winds up playing a little bit of better competition. He certainly has 
faltered in some of those spots as well. So I think that's going to be a little bit intermissary. You've got a little bit of a thin Eastern Michigan team, despite the fact that they play so fast. And then you take a look at Niagara. I do think that you're going to be able to get a little bit more out of Sam Oreo, the transfer from South Alabama along with American. Nine points, five and a half boards, shooting 91% free throw line. Niagara, they shoot as a collective 79% of the line, 36.5% from three. They don't turn the ball over a lot now. They themselves don't force a lot of turnovers. Rebounding is a little bit of a deficiency for this team. Greg Kuka Mensa, so I think, is going to be able to pick it up. Seven and a half points, three and a half rebounds per game. But I do take a look at this spot. I think that Niagara does wind up getting their tempo. I think that going on the road is going to be a little bit tough for them because Eastern Michigan has been without their main scorer in Farkasan. I think that that is going to be helping them out a little bit as well. Now that he's fully healthy, he's been able to operate a little bit better. So I do take a look at this spot. Did wind up setting Eastern Michigan as a one and a half point favorite. So I have to pick them to a one point favorite. Willing to take Eastern Michigan in this spot. When you wind up getting North of two, that would be my buy point on Niagara, but I do think that it's going to be a very grimy game, and typically when you wind up getting a two-point game with a minute left to go, teams wind up not fouling in this spot as well, so I take a look at this spot, and I do think that Eastern Michigan is going to be slowed down a little bit, set the total at a 133.5, so diving under, and willing to lay the one, so I shake a pick them here with Eastern Michigan. We move on to 685-686 on the bang board to UConn. Going to be hitting the road face off against West Virginia. West Virginia, between a 1.5 and, and a two-point favor with your total between 137 and 138.5 with UConn, you certainly do have some injury concerns when it comes to the team. Odama Sanogo looks like he's going to be out until Christmas, and Tyrese Martin dealing with an injury. He's going to be out of this game as well. But what you do have for UConn is RJ Cole in the backcourt. 16.5 points per game, 4.5 assists. Guy that's shooting 37% from three-point range. Now Martin, he was doing a great job for this team. 13 points, 7.5 boards, shooting 44% from three-point range. And Tommy Polly has been someone that has been able to step up for the team as well. His rebounding is down, but shooting right around 92% the free throw line, chipping in there 10 points per game. And I do like the way that Jordan Hawkins has been able to come along as well. He was banged up a little bit earlier in the year, but you take a look at him. 15 points in the team's most recent win against Grambling, shooting 44% from three, 8.5 points. So I think that he's going to be able to do a good job down low. You take a look at what you've got from some of these other guys as well. A cook, a cook is someone that a few years ago had right around two and a half blocks per game. You've got a pure rebounder in Andre 3000 Jackson, six points, seven and a half rebounds per game. And then you take a look at West Virginia and Taz Sherman has been a terrific score for this team. 21 points per game, dishing out three and a half assists, shooting about 86% the free throw line in West Virginia. They've got two guys, their top two scores, shooting above 86% the free throw line. The rest of the team is shooting sub 60%. It has not been good. So aside from Mr. Sherman and then you're able to throw in there Sean McNeil who's been able to give the team 12 points per game. You really haven't had much outside of them with regards to scoring. You've been without a few pieces as well. West Virginia has dealt with an injury to star freshman James Okunkwo. He really has not been able to get out there on the floor this year. So that's been an issue. We wound up seeing his first action of the year against Radford and it was for five minutes and he grabbed two rebounds. So I don't expect a lot out of him in this game. Willie Curry, he comes in from Old Dominion. He's been able to give you a seal and after game and West Virginia doing a better job of being able to pickpocket this year. Nine and a half seals per game, but I do take a look at this spot. I think that UConn wins the battle on the glass. You don't have a single guy in West Virginia giving you more than five rebounds per game, and that would be Jalen Bridges. So I do think that they've got the advantage there. I think that RJ Cole, despite the ailments, is going to be able to get his guys firing at all cylinders, set UConn as a two and a half point favorite. So I take a look at them, and I'm going to be taking them on the money line. I think that this is going to be a control game. You've got a West Virginia team not shooting it well outside of their top two. So, said the total at 134.5, diving under as well. 687, 688 on the bang board. 
Quinnipiac is going to be in the road faceoff against Dartmouth. Dartmouth is a three and a half point favorite in your total on this game. You're going to be getting it anywhere between 136 and 136 and a half. I ended up making Dartmouth a four and a half point favorite. When it comes to Dartmouth, what this team does is they wind up hitting their threes and they wind up hitting them at an insane rate. Dartmouth, one of the slower teams with regards to their tempo and all of college basketball, but you've got two guys that are really stepping up for this team. Torres Samuels along with Brendan Berry. These two guys are combining for about 26 and a half points per game. They shoot between them 42% from three-point range. Barry's been able to give you right around 1.7 seals, 2.5 assists per game. And then down low, you've got 11 points, 9 boards, 2.5 assists out of Aaron Ray as well. Now, this is not a team with a lot of depth, but you are getting a little bit more now out of Cam Krasowiak. Wound up missing a little bit of time earlier this year, but he's been able to give the team double figures and now two out of the last three games. And is actually the son of Larry Krasowiak, the former Utah coach. You take a look at Dartmouth, not a team that is necessarily going to be generating a lot of rebounds as you've got Ray who's able to give you nine boards per game. Nobody else giving you more than four boards per game. You take a look at Quinnipiac and you do have Kevin Marfo. Marfo, two years ago, led all of college basketball with regards to rebounds per game at 13 and a half. A guy that has been able to do a good job as a passer this year as well. Four assists per game. So that has been eye-opening to go along with his 11 boards. But what are you going to be able to get with regards to this offense? Because I would was thinking that Jacob Bergoni, him coming back, was going to be big for the team. A double-digit score, you're in and you're out for the team. Eight and a half points per game, shooting 32% from three has been a little bit less than seller. Now, got a bunch of guys shooting about 74% the free throw line. As a collective, they shoot about 32% from three. Now, their top two scores in Matt Blonich along with Tyrese Williams. They're shooting a combined about 41% from three. Blonich, right around 16 and a half points per game. Williams, right around 10. But outside of Marfo, you really don't have a lot of guys pulling in rebounds for this team as well. So that is a little bit of an issue when it comes to defensive efficiency. Quinnipiac has not been great. They've been looking to push a tempo. Dartmouth, they do a very good job of making things slow, making things grimy. Now, you do occasionally see a game get away from them like what wound up happening against Vermont, but I don't think that that's going to be the case. I think that Dartmouth controls the tempo, and that allows them to be able to win this game. Set Dartmouth as a 4.5 point favorite. Made this total 130 and a half as well. So I'm going to be diving under, and I'm going to be laying it here with the big green. 689, 690 on the bang board. Southeast Missouri State is going to be playing with Evansville. Purple Aces. And we're going to pick them to a 1 point underdog with your total on this game. 135 and a half. When it comes to Southeast Missouri State, I want to saying them as a six-point favorite. I just have not been impressed by this Evansville team whatsoever. They've really been overvalued, in my opinion, just from the get-go. When it comes to this Evansville team, you've got a bunch in which they play very slow. They're in the bottom 20 with regards to possessions per game over the last few years. They're just not efficient on defense. They're in the bottom 25 over the last few years with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. They shoot as a collective 68%, free throw line 33% from three. They don't turn the ball over a ton. You've got Jamar Gibbons, who's been able to give you 15 points per game. Very fitting name there. Jawan Newton, 14 points, six boards. He's been able to shoot about 35% from three. As a matter of fact, both of them are, but you don't have a lot down low when it comes to this team either. You've been able to have Noah Frederick King be able to give you 7.5 points, 4.5 rebounds per game, but when it comes to SEMO, I think the night Nigel Russell is going to be able to have himself a game. Download seven half points, six boards for him. You've also been able to have Manny Patterson do a good job chipping in there right around five boards per game as a UW-Green Bay transfer. Eric Reed in the backcourt has been solid with regards to his shooting, making 38% of his threes, 80% of his free throws, 16 points per game. You don't necessarily have that one true facilitator, but Chris Harris has done a nice job of being able to give the team just a little bit of a wide variety of stuff. 11 points, three and a half boards, three assists, a steal. So he sort of just... Is 
is a chipson where needed sort of guy when it comes to Southeast Missouri State as well. Good at the free throw line. Shoots 75% as a collective. They don't generate a ton of seals, but they also don't turn the ball over a lot themselves. I do think that it's a case in which Evansville is going to wind just giving up a couple too many easy buckets in the spot. I think that you're going to get a slow and controlled game. So they wind up setting the total at 128.5, diving under with Southeast Missouri State. Made them a six-point home favorite. So laying the point slash taking Southeast Missouri State as a pick and I'm going to be diving under. 691-692 on the betting board. Little Rock is going to be playing us to Missouri State. Missouri State is a 12-point road favorite. And your total on this game, you're going to be getting it anywhere between a 145 and a 144.5. Set so this total on 146.5. So I'm going to be taking a look at the over, but... When it comes to Missouri State, set them as a 13-point road favorite. They did wind up losing a couple days ago when they did wind up having that battle against BYU. But BYU, as we know, a very good school. And you've got a very good scoring trio when it comes to Missouri State. Gage Prim, Isaiah Mosley, along Jalen Minnett. How about these guys? They are able to combine for... Darn near 50 points per game with Prim. 10 rebounds and a block and a half per game while shooting 50% from three. Minute is shooting 50% from three. Mosley, 92% the free throw line, 41.5% from three. Jalen Minute, by the way, he has yet to miss a free throw this year. And when it comes to Mosley, he's been able to get the team right around four and a half boards himself. So these guys have been terrific. Now, outside of them, Donovan Clay, the Valpo transfer, eight and a half points, five boards. So he's been able to chip in there a little bit of production. Missouri State shoots 79.5% the free throw line, 37% from three. You got a Little Rock team that they're not as efficient. You do have Isaiah Palermo being able to give you 13 points. He's shooting 56% from three, but as a collective, you got a Little Rock team that shoots 31% from three. 72% the free throw line is actually halfway decent, but they do turn the ball over 14 and a half times per game and don't have a lot of rebounding when it comes to the team. You got one guy giving you more than five and a half rebounds per game, Nikolai Medic. He's trying to be a six foot ten versatile player, but when he shoots 25% from three, 13 points, three assists, six and a half boards, a little bit of a rudderless offense. Now, whenever he's been out there, CJ White has been okay for the team, but he's currently off the floor. The SMU transfer being out, that does hurt my opinion of Little Rock a little bit. So, instead of them being more like a 12 to a 12 and a half on my line, I did wind up saying Missouri State as a 13 as a result. So, I'm willing to lay the 12. When it comes to Missouri State, I think that they're going to run out, get their tempo. Little Rock has been far from great on defense whenever they played against good competition. I mean, you take a look at Sam Houston State, Tulsa, Colorado State, and Arkansas all wound up giving up 77 points in those games. So, I think that you're going to see the same here going over and going to be laying it here with Missouri State. 693-694 on the betting board. TCU is going to be shown down against Utah. Utah has find themselves anywhere between a pick'em to a one-point underdog and your total on this game. You're finding it at a 136. When it comes to TCU, I did wind up making them a five-point favorite. I do think that they're going to be able to do a good job of holding up against a Utah team that they've actually been very good on defense, especially at being able to cut off the three-point arc, but TCU is not a team that they necessarily rely exclusively on the three ball. I do think that they're going to have the best player out there on the floor, and that would be Mike Miles. Mike Miles, a guy that has been able to chip in their darn near 16.5 points per game, has been able to do a nice job of facilitating as well. 4.5 assists per game now. Raleigh Worcester on the other side for Utah. He's been able to do a nice job of just being that little bit of a roll glue guy. Right around 8.5 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists, a steal per game. So that has been good. He has been able to cut down on the turnovers a little bit as well. But you do take a look at Utah, and I do feel like their 3-point shooting is built on sand a little bit. They're shooting as a collective about 32.5% for 3, David Jenkins. Shooting 44% from distance, 89% the free throw line with 13.5 points per game. And then Braden Carlson, the 7-footer, 13.5 points, 6 boards. He's making 35.5% of his threes, but 
A little bit of a top-heavy team. Marco Anthony has missed the last few games for this team as well. A guy that was leading the way with right around 8.5 rebounds per game. It's a TCU bunch in which they're not great down low, but Emmanuel Miller is able to give you 11 points, 7.5 rebounds as a transfer from Texas A&M. Damian Boz missed some time when it comes to TCU. He's been able to come back, though, and wound up having his best game in the team's last game, 13 points against Oral Roberts, and then you've got Chuck O'Bannon, who's been able to shoot right around 38% from three. Francisco Farabella doesn't quite look right, but he's been able to ease his way into the offense. And I do think that the UT Arlington transfer shot of Wells at some point is going to be able to boom for the team as well. Hasn't seen a lot of minutes, but every time he's been allotted minutes, he's been able to give the team points. So I do think that that's going to be beneficial, along with Michael Peavy being able to give you right around six half rebounds per game. I do think that TCU should be able to control the glass. I think that this is going to be a slower, more controlled game. Utah has been a solid defensive team with regards to efficiency, not so much on offense at TCU. Does a good job of being able to grind things to a halt. Set this total at 130 and made TCU a 5 point favorite. So, we're going to be laying it here with the Horn Frogs and I'm going to be taking a look at the under 695, 696 on the betting board. SMU is going to be playing us at Dayton. The Flyers are finding themselves anywhere between 4 and 4.5 point underdogs with your total of this game, 138.5. When you take a look at Talon and Talon alone, SMU is by far the better team. Now with SMU, what has been the big bugaboo of this team, they just have not been able to close out games this save their lives. I cannot tell you how many times I've had SMU and they've blown a 15 plus point lead. I mean, it's a story as old as the dawn of time and guess who's going to be the rat who takes the cheese once again on SMU? That's right, as SMU has been able to cover each out of their last two games. They seem to be turning the corner, and I just like what Kendrick Davis is able to do at the point guard spot. 20.5 points, 5 boards, 5.5 assists. She's 40% from 3. Seal and a half per game. Down low, you've got Marcus Weathers, and you've really got both of the Weathers brothers. You've had Michael be a little bit banged up for Marcus. He's shooting 36% for three, 10.5 points per game. He's been rock solid. Now, Tumani Kamara, someone that I do like for Dayton, 10.5 points, 6.5 boards per game. Able to shoot threes, doesn't necessarily hit them, though. Malachi Smith has a freshman assist, a turnover ratio of 2, 9 points, right around 4.5 boards per game with Dayton. It's a hit or miss three point shooting team. They're shooting about 33% from three. Now, if you take a look at their last, I would say, two weeks ever since they wound up going to Orlando, they're shooting as a collective more like 40% from three point range. I don't think that they're quite there. I don't think that they're as bad as a team that was shooting like 27% from three going in there either. So I think that this is more the true them, more of a 33% three-point shooting team. Elijah Weaver, 45% shooter from distance, right around 11 points per game, but doesn't necessarily facilitate the offense too well as well. Deron Holmes is able to give you 10 points, 5 boards as a freshman. But I do think that SMU being able to get Tristan Clark down low, he's been able to give the team a couple boards. And Zach Natal was able to really bust out in that game against Vanderbilt. He had 20 points, 5 boards. I think that you just got too many weapons in the backcourt for SMU. So as a result, I do wind up saying them as a six-half point favorite. Dayton is a very slow and controlled team. Meanwhile, SMU, they're looking to push Temple a little bit more. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a slower game. We wound up seeing this match apply last year. It was a tad bit slower, so I think you're going to see the same here. Set the total on 136 as a result. So, landing here with SMU, willing to lay up to six and a half and diving under. 697, 698 on the betting board. Buffalo is going to be in the road face off against Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky. And we're between a three and four point underdog in your tallest game. Say we're team 154 and a half and 155. I do think that Buffalo should be a favorite could only make them a two-point favorite. Now with Buffalo, the good news for them is that they are shooting it better from the free-throw line this year than they were last year. Last year, this team was cataclysmically bad at the free-throw line, so being able to get them to be able to hit a couple more of those, that is big because they do bring in Macy O'Jack from George Washington. Jack has been jacking up this offense. 11 points, 4 boards, shooting 100% at the free-throw line, so that'll up as collective Buffalo right around 72.8% of the line, shooting 35% from 3 with Ronaldo Segu leading the way from distance 
Cousins shooting 47% for three, five assists, 15 points per game, and then Jonathan Williams. How about this guy? 19 and a half points, four and a half boards. You do have Josh Mbala as well. He was a double-double machine last year, 13 and a half points, eight boards per game as well. But when it comes to Western Kentucky, who I think is really going to be able to step up in this game, is the Maryland transfer in Jarius Hamilton. Hamilton is someone that wanted missing a game earlier this year, but has been able to give the team 15 plus points in each other team's last five games, shooting right around 37.5% from three, 17.5 points per game as a six foot eight combo player. Now you've got Cameron Justice along Davion McKnight. These two guys are combining for about 27.5 points per game. They're shooting as a collective about 40% from three. Western Kentucky, they only shoot about 67% the free throw line, but among their top four scores, three of them shoot above 77%, so that is going to be able to help them out a little bit. You've got a team that's not great on the glass, but they're relatively solid. I do think that you're going to be able to get more out of Josh Anderson, who's given the team nine points, four and a half rebounds per game, a guy that has been able to shoot about 33% from three the last few years. He did wind up missing their game against a non-D1 team, but it sounds like he should be good to go in this one. Sounds like that was just a case in which they wanted to give him a little bit of rest, but I do think that Western Kentucky going to be able to hang in this game. I think it comes down to the final possession. Could only set Buffalo as a two-point favorite, so in this spot, it's a case in which I'm going to be taking the points with Western Kentucky. Don't want them on the money line, but I do want the points because I do think that Buffalo might wind up closing out this game at the free throw line, but also set this out on 160. Buffalo is a team that they are cranking up their tempo. Western Kentucky, they are very much willing to run as well. They have scored at least 80 points at each other last four games, so we're going over, and I'm going to be taking the points on the spread with Western Kentucky. 699, 700 on the banging board. Colorado is going to be playing us to Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington is finding themselves as an underdog of 15 to 15 and a half points in your total on this game. It is between 146.5 and 147.5. Set Colorado as a 15 and a half point favorite. At 15 and a half, I'd be willing to lay it. Feel much better about the 15s that I'm seeing right now, but when it comes to Eastern Washington, they have been climbing up my board a little bit with regards to power rankings. He had to replace darn near everyone from last year, aside from their top scorer in Stile Ventes. He has been able to get the team 19 points per game shooting over 52% from three. He has been able to get the team 21 plus in three of the last four games. One game in which he wound up having clunker. Go figure against Washington State. Now, Linton Alciles has been able to give you 16.5 points, eight boards down low for Washington State, but you've got Jabari Walker, the son of Samaki Walker at six foot nine. Right around 15 points, 9 boards per game out there in the backcourt. You've got Keyshawn Bartholomew. He and Elijah Parquet are helping run the offense with Bartholomew. Right around 12 points per game, shooting 38% from 3 with Parquet. He has been able to get the team 7.5 points per game, but he's really been a little bit of a buster Rooney for this team with Colorado. They do shoot about 72% of the free throw line. They've been one of the better cover teams at home in recent years on the road. It has been a completely different story. Now, Ryan Burgesson out there for this Eastern Washington team, right around 14 points, six boards, four and a half assists per game. But with Eastern Washington, 16 turnovers per game, that is something that is very much a concern. Now, Colorado doesn't necessarily force a ton of seals, but we do see it when teams wind up getting sloppy with them. They are able to do a solid job. And then Evan Batty, I think, is going to be able to be a difference maker. 13 and a half points, four and a half boards, six foot nine combo player that's shooting 61% from three for the this Colorado team. I think that's going to be a couple too many unforced errors here from Eastern Washington. Set Colorado as a 15 and a half point favorite. So, one delay of 15 here with Colorado. And when it comes to this total, set it at a 147. Colorado, not a team that's looking to gun at Eastern Washington. is looking to pick up their tempo, but I do think that the three-point shooting is going to be going down. So, at 147 half, going to be taking a look at the under. 701-702 on the banking board. SIU Edwardsville is going to be playing us to IPFW. Fort Wayne is going to be finding themselves as a one to one and a half point favorite. Seeing a straight pick them out there as well. Your total on this game is 141. When it comes to SIU Edwardsville, certainly has been an interesting bunch, and I wound up setting them as a two-point underdog in this spot. So I'm going to be taking a look at Fort Wayne laying the point slash 
getting them as a pick on the road because with Fort Wayne, this is a squad that is doing an absolutely superb job of being able to knock down their three-point shots. As a collective last year, they were in the top 20 with that regard, shooting about 34.9% this season. You've had Jalen Pipkins along with Jared Godfrey be able to combine for about 32 points per game. Godfrey right around 4.5 assists, 4.8 rebounds per game, and these two guys are combining for nearly four steals per game. As a matter of fact, each of your top five scores for Purdue-Fort Wayne, at least a steal per game. You've been able to get right around nine points per game out of Deontay Billups as well. I think that he's going to be able to come along for the ride. Ari Kapadia is able to give the team nine and a half rebounds per game. And then you take a look at Edwardsville. You've got the Wright brothers in Shamar and Lamar Wright. Both of these guys have been able to give you right around 17 and a half points per game. You've got an SIU Edwardsville team though that they shoot 26% from three, 65% the free throw line, 14 and a half turnovers per game. They've been better on defense, but their offense has been lackadaisical. Sean Doss comes in from the swag, 12.6 rebounds per game. And Rayshon Taylor has been terrific for this team. 17 and a half points, five and a half boards, 2.2 steals, nearly three assists, shooting 85% the free throw line. Outside of him, the rest of the team is shooting darn near 60% at the free throw line so he's been good for this bunch, but I do take a look at Edwardsville, and it's not like they've been playing the world's stiffest competition. Bradley, Omaha, St. Thomas, Youngstown State. I mean, it's not like it's terrible competition, but at the same time, you'd expect a little bit more from their offense. Did wind up saying the total at 138 just due to the inefficiency of Edwardsville. Fort Wayne, not a team that's looking to play very fast, but I do think that Fort Wayne going to be more efficient in this game. One lay up to two year with them, so laying it here with Fort Wayne, and I'm going to be taking a look at the under. 703, 704 on the betting board. You've got yourself Minnesota and the state with the smallest drinks in the union is going to be playing us to Michigan State. Michigan State is finding themselves as a favorite of anywhere between five and six points and your total on this game is anywhere between 132 and a half and 133. I think that Michigan State wins the game outright, but especially here at 6. I'm going to be taking a look at the points when it comes to Minnesota. Minnesota has looked much better than advertised. Now, Sean Sutherland, it looks like he's going to be a game-time decision for this Minnesota team. He's been able to be a very nice mixer and shaker for this team, a guy that's able to chip in there right around 10 points per game. He's a versatile player that's able to give you four boards, not necessarily shooting a lot of threes this year, but has been able to do a good job coming in from New Hampshire. But you do have Jameson Battle along with Peyton Willis. These two guys are combining for 35 and a half points per game, 11 and a half boards. Willis, four assists and two steals per game. Willis is also shooting 44% from three. Now, with Minnesota, they do shoot 70% the free throw line, including each other top five scores shooting from the free throw line 70% or worse. Uh, that is a little bit of an issue, but you've been able to have Luke Lowe be able to give out three and a half assists per game as well when it comes to Michigan. This is a bunch that they have really been able to heat up from three point range recently as a collective. They're shooting about 36.5% from distance. They couldn't mess against Toledo. Gabe Brown, 13 points. He's been able to do a nice job being able to haul in there right around 4.5 boards per game as well. Marcus Bingham Jr., 10.5.7.5 rebounds, 3 blocks per game. The defense of Michigan State certainly has been there. Minnesota has been playing a little bit more slow and controlled themselves. They've been able to do a good job there, but I do think that this game does wind up coming down to late game following. Michigan State is going to have a little bit of an advantage there with Michigan State shooting right around 71.5% the free throw line, but here's the issue that I have with Michigan State. Darn near 16 turnovers per game. They're going to be able to win the battle down low, but at the same time, I do think the Minnesota is going to be able to hold in there. I think that this is going to be a little bit more of a control game. Minnesota doesn't have great depth, so I think that they're going to try to take the air out of the ball. Michigan State, I think it's going to look to run a little bit more with late game fouling. Did wind up saying this total at 136, and maybe Michigan State to 
four-point favorite. So here at five and a half to six, taking the points and taking the over. Seven to five, seven to six on the bang board. Montana is going to be playing with Air Force. Air Force is finding themselves a seven and a half point underdog in your total on this game. You're going to get anywhere between a 123 and a half. Seeing as high as a 125 and a half out there, but seeing mostly 124 and a half. This is the spot in which I want to say this at 123. So I'm going to be diving under. When it comes to Montana, this certainly is not the team that wanted making NCAA tournaments a few years ago, but they're still relatively solid. What I do like for this Montana team is that he should be able to win the battle down low with Josh Bannon. Bannon is a six foot nine combo player that comes over from Australia. 12 points, 7.5 rebounds, shooting 48% from three-point range. Has been a little bit off his game recently, but I think that he's going to be able to pick it up against an Air Force team, which got Ethan Taylor. is able to give you a six boards, right around 10.5 points per game, but Air Force is one of the smallest teams with regards to size out there in all of college basketball, especially aside from the really, really low majors. Joseph Octave has been able to give the team 10 points, four boards. He's been able to hit that Octave with 37.5% three-point shooting, and then A.J. Walker shooting darn near 43.5% from distance, 19.5 points per game. The big problem that have with this Air Force team is that they play at one of the slowest tempos in all of college basketball and they turn the ball over 15 and a half times per game. You just can't have that. Meanwhile, for Montana, not a team that's going to go out there and is going to be pickpocketing a ton, but they do a much better job of being able to control the ball right around nine and a half turnovers per game. Brandon Whitney along with Robbie Beasley, the third. These two guys have been able to combine for in the neighborhood about 21 points per game. You don't necessarily have that one great facilitator with the team, though. Cameron Parker, four and a half assists, seven and a half points per game, shooting 66% from three. I don't understand why he doesn't take more threes, but with that said, you've also been able to get right around five points per game out of Ido transfer Scott Blakeney as well. He's been able to come into the fold, give the team a little bit of something. So I take a look at this spot. I do think that Montana just has many more weapons than Air Force. I think that this is going to be a very slow and grimy game. You've got a pair of teams that rank in the bottom 35 with guards possessions per game. So set this total on 123. Made Montana an 11-point favorite with Air Force. I do like the start to the season that they've gotten off to, but aside from Walker, I just don't know why he's putting the ball in the basket or rebounding for the team. So going to be diving under and laying the points with the Grizzles. 7-0-7, 7-0-8 on the betting board. You've got Ohio State, and the Ohio State is going to be playing with Towson. Towson find themselves a 15-15.5 point underdog with your total on game 138. I was going to set this line 20 before Towson wound up having quite a few guys winding up coming back for their most recent game, and they looked relatively solid in that win against Kent State as they wound up having Antonio Rizzuto come back. He is a transfer from Albany in that game. He was able to have double figures, hit a couple threes. Nicholas Timberlake along Cameron Holden, they're holding it down with right around 30 points per game now. Holden, he chips in there 10 boards, 3.5 assists per game, a guy that's shooting 42% from three with two steals per game, and he just does it all for this team. When it comes to Towson, they do a nice job of not turning the ball over. Right around 11 after an over game. Chase Power has been able to give you right around four boards per game, but that's where Ohio State is going to be able to get them. Aside from Holden, you don't have a lot of rebounding with Ohio State. How about EJ Liddell, an All-American candidate with 20.5 points, 7 boards, shooting 37% from three-point range. Zed Key down low. They will give you 10 points, 4.5 boards per game. Kyle Young has looked very good ever since he wound up dealing with some health issues at the beginning of the year in that game against Penn State. He wound up having 16 points, 7 boards, and 23 minutes off the bench. He is getting strong Stronger and stronger, shooting 47% from three, 90% at the free throw line. And then you're able to chip in there someone like a Michi Johnson, who's able to give you seven points, shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range as a collective. Ohio State shooting 39% from three. And next, Cedric Russell has been able to find a little bit of something as well. He's been able to bury, I believe, now five three-pointers in the team's last two games. So he's forming himself as a little bit of a sharp shooter. When it comes to Towson, I just don't think that they're going to be able to hold up at the point of attack down low. Towson is a team that's looking to play very slow. Ohio State, they're willing to oblige as well. Ohio State, they seem better on defense this year than they were last year. So I do wind up saying this at 129.5. You've got a Towson team that prior to Monday, they were shooting 30% from three. I think that they're going to be off with their outside shooting. 
they're going to be in a bunch of one and duns because they can't rebound. So laying the points with Ohio State will only lay up to 17 and a half here and taking this total under. 709, 710 on the betting board. Virginia Tech is going to be playing with Cornell. Cornell is anywhere between a 17 and a half to an 18 point underdog in your tournament game is between 142 and a half and 144 and a half. When it comes to Cornell, it's a squad that has really been able to do a great job covering every one of their games thus far this season. So you give them a lot of kudos. When it comes to this Virginia Tech team, though, they have been able to do a very nice job themselves. So I did take a look at this spot, and I do think that there's a good chance that this cover run winds up ending for Cornell because I did wind up setting them as a 20-point underdog. When it comes to the big red, what I think is going to be very key for them is Jordan Jones. He's been able to give the team 14 points, 3.5 boards, shooting 36% from three-point range. He's been playing limited minutes, but has still been able to give the team double figures in four of the team's last five games, playing 19 minutes or fewer in every one of those games. Kevi Aluma down low for Virginia Tech, though, should be able to have his way. A guy that's able to give the team 14.5 points, 6.5 boards. Not shooting as well from three as he did last year, but overall, Virginia Tech shooting 39% from three, 72% the free throw line, turning the ball over 10.5 times per game. Naheem Aleem is able to give you 12 points, right around three assists per game. Justin Mutz does it all. 10.5 points, 7 boards, 3 assists, 1.5 seals. Positionless basketball is going well for this Virginia Tech team. And what else is going well for this Virginia Tech team? You've got a guy in Darius Maddox who's shooting 60% from three-point range. So that has been absolutely terrific. You take a look at Cornell and you just don't have a lot down low. Kobe Dixon has been a good rebound first guy, a guy that's able to give you darn near six half boards per game. Has also been able to give out three and a half assists as a six foot nine, little bit of a do it all player. And Sarju Patel winds coming in from VMI, shooting only about thirty percent from three. That's an issue. Cornell shooting thirty and a half percent from three, but Virginia Tech one of the best teams at being able to guard the arc. I think that they're going to do a nice job here. Set Virginia Tech as a result as a twenty point favorite. You've got a Cornell team by the way that has won the top teams with regards to possessions per game in all of college basketball. Virginia Tech has been playing very. Slow. I think that Virginia Tech is going to be able to slow down Cornell, so I set this out at 134, so diving under to go along with Virginia Tech. 7-11, 7-12 on the betting board. We head to the Octagon of Doom as Kansas State is going to be playing us Marquette. Marquette is a 3.5 point underdog in your tournament's game. In between 141.5 and 142.5, you got a Kansas State team that likes to play very slow and controlled. Marquette has actually been one of the top 20 teams with regards to possessions per game themselves, but I do think that with Marquette, they've got a little bit of streaky shooting, but the reason why I set them as a favorite in this game, and I'm going to be taking a look at them as a money line underdog is because you just take a look at what you're getting out of Kansas State. Nigel Pack currently in concussion protocol. A guy that has been able to give the team 16 points per game shooting 48.5% from three. He has been their top scorer. Him being out of the fold is going to make it very difficult for Kansas State. You've got Marquise Noel. He winds coming in from Little Rock. 12.5 points, 3.5 rebounds, 3 assists per game. He's been rock solid, but you really have nobody else on this team that is shooting above, I would say, about 36.5% from three-point range. That gentleman would be Mr. Selton Miguel, who has been able to get the T9 and 9.6 rebounds per game, but you really don't have a lot of rebounding either. Mike Smith has had to become a little bit of a do-it-all player, right around six foot four, coming in from Missouri with eight and a half points, seven and a half boards, a little bit over a seal per game. But take a look at Marquette. Justin Lewis has been impressive for this team. 16 points, seven and a half boards, shooting in the low 30s from three-point range as a combo player. Tyler Kolek has been able to have an assist to turnover ratio of two with right around five and a half assists per game. He's chipping in there seven and a half points. But Daryl Morsell, one of the best on-ball defenders in all of college basketball, a guy that has been able to chip in their 15 points of his own, shooting 44% from three. Marquette does turn the ball over quite a bit, but they've been able to generate quite a few steals with their Havoc style. I do think that you're going to be able to get more out of Clemson transfer Oliver Maxine Prosper. He's only been able to give the team 5.5 points per game thus far, but in the team's last two games, in 22 minutes, he's been able to chip in their 19 points. He seems to be very comfortable with this offense. 6'8", do a little bit of everything guy that I think is going to present some matchup issues for Kansas State. So I take a look at this spot. Setting Marquette as a 1.5 point favorite. I'm going to be taking them on the money 
money line. I do think that Kansas State is going to be able to slow down the style in this game, especially if Pack winds up not going, which it looks like he is going to be out. So taking a look at this total under, setting it at a 135.5 to go along with that money line. 713, 714 on the bang board. Ido is going to be playing us to South Dakota State. The Jackrabbits are a 20 point road favorite, and your total on this game is anywhere between 163.5 and 164. I wound up saying this out of 156 and a half. I do think that Ido is going to try to rein it in a little bit more now. You've got a South Dakota State team that is in the top 15 with regards to possessions per game, and they have been able to do a superb job with their offense. But with Ido, what I do like for this team is Trevante Anderson, 14 and a half points per game against a team with some similarities in Southern Utah. They held in there on their home floor to the tune of single digits with Anderson shooting 36% for three. Ido is a collective. They shoot 35.5% for three. The 14 and a half turnovers per game, that's a little bit unsightly, and you don't have a lot of rebounds when it comes to this team, but you've got three different guys giving you between 4.9 and 5 rebounds per game. I mentioned it with Anderson. You've got Philip Papel Jr. who winds up coming in from SIU Edwardsville. He's been able to give the team 5.5 points right around 5 boards per game. And then Rashad Smith, 7 points. He's been able to hound their 5 boards. He's missed a couple games this year, but now that he's back, he's looking very solid. A combined 19 points and 16 rebounds in the last two games. A guy that's shooting 38% from 3. That's going to be able out. Mikey Dixon, 14.5 points per game, shooting 46% from 3 himself. Now you take a look at South Dakota State and you've got Douglas Wilson who two years ago was the conference player of the year in the Summit League as he's currently averaging right around 14 and a half points, six rebounds per game. The guy that has really been able to pop off for this team, that'd be Noah Friedel. He's been able to give the team a little bit over 20 points per game, but you just take a look up and down at the South Dakota State team. As a collective, they are shooting 45.5% from three, right around 13 turnovers per game, but with their tempo, that's actually not too bad. You've got each other top, I would say, eight scores, shooting at least 47.5% from the floor. As a collective, they shoot right around 71% at the free throw line, but I do think that Ido is going to be able to slow this game down a little bit more. Alex Arians has been able to give you right around nine points per game when it comes to South Dakota State, but I think that this summer is a little bit of an extreme as Ido much better on offense this year than they have been the last few years as well. So I do take a look at the spot. Wound up setting South Dakota State as a 16 and a half point favorite, willing to take a 20 year when it comes to the total. Set it at a 156 half. It's not that I think it's going to be a slow game, but I do think that the 164 a tad high. So we're going to be taking the under and I'm going to be taking the points with Ido. 715, 716 on the bank board. You've got BYU and they are going to be playing us to Utah State. Utah State is an eight and a half point underdog with your total of this game. I think we're between 136 half and 136. 7.5. I think that this is going to be a little bit closer. I set this line as a 7-point touchdown, so willing to take 8.5 here with Utah State. When it comes to BYU, certainly a bunch that has been able to do a great job with their headliner and Alex Barcelo being able to lead the way. Alex Barcelo over the last three years since the beginning of the 2019-20 season, shooting darn near 47% from three-point range this year, 18.5 points, shooting only 42.5% from three this year, gas, but we give the team three assists per game, not during the ball, but Justin Bean, I think, is going to be the best little post player in this game for Utah State. 22 points, 12.5 boards, has been dominant there. Ryland Jones comes over from Utah, and he has been terrific with 5.5 assists per game, not during the ball over a lot, 9.5 points. As a collective, Utah State shoots 36.5% from three and 79.5 percent at the free throw line as well. Brock and Roll Miller, 10 points per game. He's been solid. Brandon Horvath, 6'10 gentleman that's able to pop threes, hitting them at a 51% clip. He's been able to chip in their 13 and a half points per game. RJ Rockatel is able to give you right around 6 points per game, so you've had someone like him be able to give this team a little bit of production. You've got Sean Bearstow, who is now back at the fold as well after he wound up being a little bit of an afterthought for the team last year, but it's someone that at six foot eight has been about a career 35-36% three-point shooter. And now Tejan Lucas on the other side for BYU. Five assists and two turnovers per game. He's coming from UW-Milwaukee, and he has done a great job of running the offense with 12 points per game himself. 
BYU, though, they do a great job of being able to shut down the three-point arc, but they themselves shoot 29.5% from three-point range. Efficient, 10.5 turnovers per game. I do think that you're going to see a little bit more of a slow and controlled game with BYU. Not shooting it well from three outside of Barcel, but then again, doing a great job of being able to cut off the arc. I do think that Caleb Blonner is going to be able to do a solid job down low, but I think that Bean is going to be able to bust him a little bit. Utah State is going to be able to grab rebounds in what I think is going to be a tough physical game. Set this all at 135, diving under. Set BYU as a seven-point favorite, so willing to take the 8-8.5 to with the Aggies. We move on to 717-718 on the banging board. Oma said hike. Oma is going to be playing us to Drake. Drake is finding themselves as an 18 and a half to a 19 point road favorite. And your total on this game is 138. I do think that Drake should be a sizable favorite, but ever since they wound up covering their first game of the season, they've had six straight non-covers. Very uncharacteristic of a Drake team that coming into the year, they were the best cover team ever since Mr. Dan DeVries wound up taking over the program. So that is a little bit of a concern. Perhaps the bookmakers have caught up to the scene a little bit, and you do take a look at this spot for Omaha. They certainly have been bad, shall we say, so far this season, but I do think that you're going to be able to get a little bit out of this Omaha team. What you do have is a guy that's able to give you right around 9.5 points, 5 rebounds per game out of Kyle Lukey. Now, Garrett Sturts is one of the best rebounders for his size in all of college basketball. A guy that's saying 6'3", is able to give the straight team 9 points, 7 boards, buries about 34% of his threes, and then you've got a pair of guys in Tucker DeVries along Tramel Murphy combining for 24 points 10.5 rebounds per game. You've got Murphy shooting 44% from three as a collective. Drake shoots 38% from three. Oma is not being able to do a good job of being able to guard the three-point arc, but with Oma, what you do have for the team is a guy that has been able to chip in there right around 7.5 points per game in Darius Hughes. Hughes wound up getting off to a little bit of a rough start to begin the year, but nine plus points now in each of the team's last three games. He's been able to hit a couple threes. He's able to give you a seal per game. When it comes to Oma, they shoot about 32% for three. 13.5 turnovers isn't great. It's not terrible at the same time either. And you've got Darnier everyone giving you between three and four rebounds per game. You don't necessarily have that one dominant guy, but you do have a lot of guys being able to chip in. And you've had Nick Ferrioni, who's been able to come in. He's been able to give this team right around nine and a half points per game on him, missing the first few games of the season, but had a big 23-point eruption against Eastern Washington. I do think that Oma is going to be able to hang within the number. You've got a Drake team that they are playing at one of the slower tempos in all of college basketball, but they are very efficient with their offense. I do wind up saying this out at 132. I think that Oma is going to be looking to make this game slow, grimy, ugly, and I think that they're going to have a little bit of success with it. As a result, set Drake as a 16-point favorite, so taking the points, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total under. 719-720 on the bang board. Southern Utah is going to be playing us to Utah Valley. Utah Valley is finding themselves as an underdog of 5-5.5 to five and a half points. In your total on this game, it is 143. Utah Valley deserves some respect for the fact that they were able to get that win against BYU, but I do take a look at this Southern Utah bunch, and I don't think that the metrics take into account the fact that they should have won that game outright against Cal, but they're on to being a free so that was missed. It left the game going to double overtime, and that was just a big, giant calamity, so they should have an extra win to their ledger, and I take a look at John Knight the third. I think that he's going to be able to take over this game. A guy that for Southern Utah has been registering 18.5 points, 6 boards, 4 assists, 2 steals, doesn't shoot threes, but he does pretty much everything else for the team. Mason Fawcett down low, 9.5 boards, 11 points per game, and then you got a pair of guys give you 14 points per game, and Dre Martin along with Tavion Jones. These guys have been very solid with regards to the glass as well, combining for a little bit over eight boards per game. Martin more on three assists and one and a half seals per game. And then you take a look at the flip side for Utah Valley and their main thing, Farda Amick. 
he has been able to give the team 21 points and 14.8 rebounds per game. Oh yeah, and now he's shooting threes as well. Been able to give the team a block and a half per game. What are you going to be able to get outside of him? Now I do like what you've been able to get out of Latre Dothart. He's been able to give the team 9 points per game. Last year was a great 3-point shooter this year. And it's fallen off to 27% as a collective. Utah Valley shooting about 35.5% from 3, but also 69.5% at the free throw line. And turnovers have been the bane of their existence. 16.5 turnovers per game. That is an issue. Now, you've been able to get 11.5 points per game out of Connor Harding. He winds up coming in for BYU, and he's looked great this year. He has been able to shoot darn near 47% from three-point range, double figures in each of the team's last five games, and three to four assists in each of those last five as well. So he has been consistent for the team. But I take a look at Southern Utah. I think that they've got just a little bit more depth in general, even someone like an Aiden Moody who winds up coming in from North Dakota has been able to shoot 42% from three-point range. I do think that Southern Utah is going to be able to generate a few turnovers in this game. That's not necessarily their specialty, but Utah Valley just giving the ball away left and right. So I did wind up saying Southern Utah is an eight-point favorite. I'm willing to lay it here with Southern Utah, one of the more up-tempo teams at all of college basketball. As a result, set this all at 146.5, thinking that we're getting some late game following as well. So going over and laying the points. 721, 722 on the bank board. Cal State Fullerton is going to be in the road face-off against San Diego State. San Diego State, a 13 to 13 and a half point favorite with your total on this game, 129 and a half. When it comes to San Diego State, you certainly have a bunch that has been up and down this year. I think that they should be able to take care of business in this spot, though. I set them as a 15 and a half point favorite. What is big for this team is the fact that it does look like you're all of a sudden getting Matt Bradley online as he wanted to begin the year shooting darn near 20% from three-point range. Now giving the team 14 points per game in that game against Michigan, though the team wound up losing. He wound up having 22 points in that one. Now he did wind up turning the ball over quite a few times as well, but I think that that's going to be reigned in against a Cal State Fullerton team that, let's call it what it is, they aren't necessarily defensive savants. You've got a Cal State Fullerton team that is shooting 29% per three, though. They are shooting 77% at the free throw line. You've had the Maddoxes and Trey and Dante Maddox struggle a little bit. They're combining for about 20.5 points, 7 boards per game. They're shooting as a collective, though, right around 32% per three-point range. EJ Onasiki down low has been terrific. Comes in from Sacred Heart in Tennessee, 18 points, 8 rebounds per game, but depth is a little bit of an issue when it comes to this team. Darius Milstead along with Latrell Wrightsell Jr. They're both giving you between 7 and 8 points per game. They're both not necessarily shooting it great from 3-point range. And then you take a look at the flip side for San Diego State. And I think that Nathan Menza is going to be able to do a nice job down low, but able to give this team 7.5 boards, 7.5 points per game. So that has been rock solid. Trey Pulliam has been able to chip in their 10.5 points and 3 assists per game. And then Lamont Butler is someone that I did wind up missing that Michigan game. I wouldn't doubt it if he winds up missing this game as well. But Keith Dinwiddie Jr. I think is going to be able to do a good job of being able to fill in for him. He's been able to give the team a combined 20 points. In the last two games, someone that last year shot 45.5% from three-point range with Cal State Fullerton guarding the arc as badly as they are. I do think that San Diego State going to be able to heat up from distance. I think that they're going to be able to put the clamps down on Cal State Fullerton. I myself set my total at 129.5. Here at 129.5, exactly, I'd be willing to take a look at the over before I'd be taking a look at the under. Hoping that this winds up getting to a flat 129 or lower slash a 130 or higher because at 130 or higher, taking a look at the under at 129 or lower. Certainly taking a look at the over, but at 129.5, I would lean towards the over myself to go along with San Diego State laying the points as I made them a 15 and a half point favorite. 723, 724 on the betting board. Seattle is going to be hitting the road to face off against UNLV. UNLV is finding themselves a four point favorite in your total on this game. It is 139 and a half. Say UNLV is a four and a half point favorite. So willing to lay the four and really not much else in this spot. When it comes to Seattle, you do have a trio of guys that have been able to do a nice job in the backcourt for this team. You've been able to get 
Darian Trammell along with Riley Grigsby and Cameron Tyson online. All these guys have been able to give you 15 plus points per game. When it comes to Cameron Tyson, he really has been able to be the lifeblood of this team when it comes to three-point shooting, making 43% of his threes. You've been able to get him to be able to pull in their six rebounds per game as well as Grigsby and Trammell. They're combining for more than the neighbor at about three to three and a half rebounds per game. Though I will say for Trammell, 5.8 assists, long two and a half seals go along with his 13 and a half points per game. Outside of these three, you don't have a single guy giving you more than seven points per game. Ameka Odeni has been able to chip in there seven points, five boards per game. That is down from the eight rebounds per game that he was able to haul in last year. And for UNLV, you've got Roy Sam down low. Being able to give the team nine and a half boards, eight and a half points per game has been a good rim protector with a block per game as well. Bryce Hamilton has been a tad bit off from seasons past. I think that he's going to be able to pick it up, has been able to give the team 16 points, only shooting about 30% for three. You know, V as a collective, shooting 31% for distance, but 74.5% at the free throw line, which is heartwarming for this team. You've got Donovan Williams, who's been able to chip in there. 10 points, four boards. He winds up coming in from Texas after being a little bit of an afterthought there. I do think that Michael Nuga is going to be able to pick it up as well. He, while he was over there with Kent State last year, was able to give the team 18 points, wound up having his season cut short due to injuries looked a little bit out of sorts recently. He's given the team six points or fewer in each of the last four games. Wound up having a good start to the year. I do think that he's going to get a little bit more online. So I take a look at UNLV. I do think that they're going to be able to hit their free throws. They do a good job of being able to control the ball against a CL team that they generated a couple seals, but I do think that UNLV going to be able to win the battle down low and that'll allow them to win the game. UNLV playing very slow this year. So I set this out at 136. I'm diving under and won't delay the four year when it comes to running Rebels. 725, 726 on the banging board. San Francisco is going to be playing us at Fresno State. Fresno State is finding them themselves anywhere between a 10 and 10 and a half point underdog with your total on game between 127 and a half and 128. It's an interesting spot because you got a Fresno State team that they really haven't allowed more than 65 points in a single game this year. Meanwhile, the Dons are one of the more efficient offenses in all of college basketball. I set this total at 133 and a half because I expect late game felling. I do think that San Francisco is going to be able to hit a couple open shots, especially with Jamari Boye being able to give the team 19 points, five boards, three and a half assists, and a steal and a half per game. Oh yeah, he's also given the team 1.2 blocks per game while shooting 46.5% for three has been terrific. San Francisco has a collective. Shoots 38.5% for three. 15 turnovers per game. That's a little bit unsightly. You've got a Fresno State team that they don't necessarily specialize in taking the ball away. And then you have Muan Mazliski, who's wound up coming in, giving the team 13 points, seven and a half boards, began his career at San Diego. And he's coming. He's been tremendous with also giving the team a little bit over a block and a half per game as well. You take a look at what you've been able to get out of Khalil Shabazz along Gabe Stefanini. These two guys are giving you a combined 22 points per game, not necessarily giving you a ton of rebounds, and that is what I think is going to keep Fresno State in this game. Orlando Robinson is a true 7-footer. The Sable Pop 3s give you 20 points, 9 boards, 2 blocks per game. You take a look at the backcourt. Isaiah Hill, Deion Stroud, these two guys are combining for about 18 points per game, and Jordan Campbell has been good for this team as well. He's someone that has been able to shoot right around 30% for 3, so that's on his forte, but 10.5 points, 4 boards, so he's able to do a rock-solid job there. Fresno State has been dealing with some injuries. Jamero Baker has been out of the fold. If Jamero Baker does wind up playing, it's probably going to be limited amount of time, so I'm pretty much factoring him out of the fold in this one, but I do take a look at this spot, and I do think that Fresno State is going to be able to hold in there, set them as a 7.5 point underdog, which means I think that you're going to get late game following, which is why I also want to make in this total 133.5, so taking the points and taking the over. 727, 728 on the betting board. Cal is going to be playing as Idaho State. Idaho State is finding themselves as a 12 to 12.5 point underdog in your tallest game is 123.5 with Idaho State. It's very simple. Double digits, I'm willing to take the points with them. I set this line at 
9.5. At 9.5 for Laura, I'd be willing to take a shot here on Cal, but that does not appear to be the case with Cal. They've looked a little bit better recently. Grant Antisevich was able to do a nice job in the team's last game, and overall is a guy that had 6'9 and is able to bury threes at right around 34.5%, shooting 89% at the free throw line, 11.5 points, 6 rebounds per game. So I do like him. And then Andre 3000 Kelly is going to be able to own the paint. 15 points, 9.5 rebounds per game. He's been solid there. Cal is a collective. Shoots right around 73% the free throw line. They're 12.5 turnovers per game on the surface. Doesn't sound bad, but with how slow they play, that's actually not too efficient. And then you take a look at the flip side. For Idaho State, you're going to need a little bit of rebounding with this team. You've been able to get 8.5 points, 4 boards out of Austin Smiley. You've been able to have Braden Parker be able to give you right around 8.5 points per game as well, but his rebounding is down. Idaho State shooting 66% of the line, 29% from 3, but what I think is big, Robert Ford the third and Tariq Cool. These two guys are combined to be able to give you 23 points per game. Ford has been able to give you 4.5 boards per game, so you've got some good versatility there. And then you've got Malik Porter, someone that I think is going to need to step up for the team last year. Wound up having 8.5 points per game and two years ago. Averaged 12 points, 5 boards. He's seen a little bit of a dip with regards to those percentages, so he's going to need to step it up, and I do think that he's going to be able to. And then Jared Rodriguez, where is this guy went? I still remember a few years ago, I was at Idaho State. Wound up having 11.6.5 boards, 2.5 points per game. I think that he's going to be able to acclimate himself a little bit more with this offense. Now, I think you're going to get a slow and grimy game. I said this total at 123.5 myself. At the 123.5, I'd be leaning towards the under, in all honesty, before I'd be leaning towards the over. I'm hoping that this thing winds up going to like a 124, then it certainly is going to be play on the under sense. I line this at a 123.5. At 123 or lower, because I do think you wind up getting late game following, I'd be taking a look at the over, but currently at 123.5, I lean under, and I want to make a Cal a 9.5 point favorite, so take a double digits here with Idaho State. 729, 730 on the banking board. It's a New York Post play today as Arizona is going to be playing us at Wyoming. Cowboy up. The Cowboys are a 15-point underdog, and your total on scape is 146.5. Said Arizona is a 12-point favorite. The New York Post play today is Wyoming getting the points. I do like what I'm seeing on this Wyoming team. They rank in the top 30 in all of college basketball when it comes to points scored on a per-possession basis, and a big reason why they don't turn the ball over. They're in the top 25 with regards to turnovers on a per-possession basis. Now, you take a look at Arizona. They rank in the top 10 in both offensive and defensive efficiency right now. Benedict Matherin, he has been absolutely tremendous for this team. 16 points, six boards, guy that's shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range in Arizona. Doing all this while shooting about 33% from three. You've had Christian Coloco along with Azula Sabellis both give you 15.6 points per game. They're combining for about 14 boards with Coloco three and a half blocks per game, so he's been loco for blocks. Omar Balo has been able to give you a block, six boards, and seven points per game. Justin Kyer has a good veteran presence about him as well, but you do take a look at this Wyoming team. Graham Ike has been terrific. 21 points, nine boards. I was essentially going to be setting this line at 14 if Hunter Maldonado did not wind up going. Hunter Maldonado wound up returning in the team's last game and he looked good in the team's last game against McNeese State. 20 points, 5 assists, 4 boards. I thought that that was absolutely critical for this team, so I have a little bit more faith in them. You haven't been able to get a lot of Kenny Foster. He's wound up returning in the last few games in limited capacity. He's only been able to give the team right around 1 point per game last year. He had 9 points per game. I think that he's going to see a couple more minutes in this game, which is also why I wound up nudging up Wyoming a tad in this spot. And then Hunter Thompson is someone that is six foot ten, has been a little bit of an afterthought, but he's able to shoot 42% from 3. I think that he's going to be able to do a little bit of something in this game. Xavier Ducell, Dalton Jeffries, these two 
two guys are combining for about 21 and a half points per game. Jeffrey, six and a half rebounds per game. And then you've got 11 points and six points per game out of Jeremiah Oden. If you got good balance with this Wyoming team, a bunch of shooting 38% per three, nine and a half turnovers per game. I think Wyoming hangs in there against Arizona. I think that you're going to see some very efficient offense. Arizona in the top 20 with regards to possessions on a per game basis. Wyoming, they're looking to play a little bit faster as well under Jeff Linder. Said this total at 152, so I'm going over. And the New York Post play of the day, Wyoming catching the points. Last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we get to the extra games is 731-732. Weber State hits the road to face off against Washington State. Washington State is a nine-point favorite, and your total on this game is 139. Guess what I made this line? A nine. So we're going to be looking at a little bit of movement here. On nine exactly, I'd be taking the points with Weber State before I'd be laying them with Washington State. I'm starting to sour a little bit on Washington State. I still think that they're a relatively solid program, but I do take a look at Weber State as well, and I've been very impressed by them. You do wind up bringing in Kobe McEwen, someone who is a starter at Marquette the last two years, and he has been absolutely tremendous for this team. He is shooting above 40% from three-point range. He's been able to give this team 17 points, four and a half boards per game, so he has been really able to do his part for this team. Now, down low, you've got Dylan Jones being able to give you 11 and a half rebounds per game, and for Washington State, you don't have a single guy giving you more than 5.6 rebounds bounce per game now. Noah Williams, Tyrell Ghost Roberts, along with Michael Flowers. These three guys have been able to combine for darn near 37.5 points per game out of Flowers and Williams both between 4 and 4.5 boards per game with Flowers and Roberts. They're combining to shoot about 36.5% per three. TJ Pamba shooting 45% per three, but I was expecting a little bit more out of Mohamed Gay. He's been able to give the team 6.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game. He hasn't necessarily been able to give this team a whole bunch of blocks. This is a Washington State team that's relatively efficient, shooting 75% at the free throw line, 34.5% per three, but and take a look at Weber State as well. This is a bunch that they're shooting 35% for three, 72.5% at the line. They don't turn the ball over. Oleg Vlad, Jamison Overton has come in from Utah Valley. He's been able to give the team 12 points, 3.5 boards per game. You've also been able to get some good versatility out of Cody Carlson. Someone that chopped 47% for three as a six foot ten combo player has been able to give the team 7.5 points per game this season. So take a look at the spot. Set the line at 9. I'm hoping we can see a little bit of movement at an 8.5 or lower. I'd be willing to take it with Washington State. Here at 9 and a 9 or higher, we'll be looking at Weber State. Set this total at 151.5 as well. I recognize that Washington State has been able to control tempo, but Weber State plays a little bit faster, and they're really, really efficient. So take a look at the over and look at the points. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. Going in Las Vegas rotation order with these as well. This starts with 306-041, 306-042. UNC Asheville is going to be playing us at Chattanooga. Mox are a 7-point road favorite, and your total on this game is 132. When it comes to Chattanooga, set them as an 8.5-point favorite with UNC Asheville. I had some high expectations for this team coming into the year. Thus far, they have not been able to live up to them because you just don't have anyone that's putting the ball in the basket for this team. With UNC Asheville, you've got one guy that's giving you more than 10 points per game. That would be Tajan Jones. He's been able to give you 11.5 points per game, so he's been able to do a little bit of something there. But when it comes to UNC Asheville, you don't have a lot down low. Jones has been able to give you... Right around five rebounds per game, you've been able to get 5.1 boards and eight points out of Drew Pember as well, six foot ten, a little bit of a versatile player that tries to shoot threes, doesn't necessarily shoot them well. When it comes to UNC Asheville, they actually play relatively fast, but they run into a mock sponge that is in the bottom 25 when it comes to possessions per game, and they've got a guy, Malachi Smith, that does it all. 17 and a half points, five and a half boards, four and a half assists, a steal and a half per game. Chattanooga shooting 75% at the free throw line, 35 and a half percent per three, 10 and a half turnovers per game. These two teams actually wound up doing battle earlier in the year. Chattanooga took 
Duke that game 75 to 45. You've got a little bit of revenge on the mind for UNC Asheville and Asheville. I think they're going to shoot better than 30% from the floor and 4 of 20 from 3, but I don't think it's going to be too great. David Jean Baptiste in that game wound up having 14 points. He for the season shooting 40% from 3 point range. AJ Caldwell has been solid off the bench for the team, and you've been able to get a little bit of something as well out of Avery Diggs. He wound up having 6 points in that game thus far this season. He has been able to give the team right around 5 points per game as a 34% 3 point shooter at 6 foot 10, so able to give the team some good versatility. I think UNC Asheville is going to have a tough time with that. I do think you wind up getting a little bit more scoring, but in the same time, I think that Chattanooga going to be able to repeat what wound up happening in the first time. Set Chattanooga as an 8.5 point favorite, willing to lay it. Set this all at 133.5 as well, so going over 306-043, 306-044. got compensate in the road phase off against George Washington. Our nation's first president hopes to not be outgunned. He's got 7.5 points, so he's got to cover as he's a 7.5 point favorite with your total anywhere between 141.5 and 142. When it comes to Coppin State, I made them a 13-point underdog with George Washington. Certainly a team that doesn't necessarily have great depth, but when it comes to Coppin State as well, it's a squad in which they played over their heads a little bit throughout the season, and it's a squad in which I'm becoming a little bit more sour on, because when you do take a look at this Coppin State team, you've got Jesse Zeruzela. He's been able to give the team 15.5 points per game. He's been able to give you right around 3.5 assists as well, but efficiency is just not there with Coppin State. This is a bunch out there turning the ball over right around 13 times per game, shooting 28% from 3, 36.5% overall from the floor. Got a pair of guys in Nada Turkey along with Tyree Corbett. They're both giving you between 6.5 and 7 boards per game. They combine for about 24 points per game as well. And with Turkey, he does give the team three seals per game, but at the same time, you just lack three-point shooting. Each other top six scores shoot below 30% from three-point range. Meanwhile, for George Washington, James Bishop, 16.5 points per game. He's Mabel Berry, only about 31% of the series, but when it comes to this George Washington team, they themselves do have a pair of guys that are able to do a solid job down low in Ricky Lindo Jr. along with Joe Bezmiel. These two guys have been able to combine for right in the neighborhood about 22 points per game, 14 boards, so they do a nice job there. They are also able to combine for about three steals per game. We've got a George Washington team that does a good job of being able to generate as a collective about five blocks per game, so I do think that it's going to be tough for this compensate team to overcome that size compensate. Look to play a little bit more off-tempo. George Washington, they certainly have been playing with a little bit more pace themselves, so I did wind up setting the total at 145.5. It's going to be taking a look at the over. Set George Washington as a 13-point favorite, so laying the points as well. 306 we got Stony Brook and the Seawolves. We're going to be playing against Hofstra. The pride of Hofstra. Anywhere between a 3 and 3.5 three and point favorite and your total on this game is 146. When it comes to Hofstra, I wound up setting them as a one-point underdog. I think that Sony Brook is going to be able to protect their own floor. I think that they're going to be able to get it done outright. Now, when it comes to Hofstra, it's a bunch of which has been able to do a relatively efficient job thus far this season with Hofstra. I do like what you're able to get out of Zach Cooks. He has a cooking. 18 points per game. A guy that from three-point range shooting at right around 38%. And then you've got Jalen Ray, who has been a ray of sunshine shooting 44% from three. 92% at the free throw line, 13 and a half points per game. You've really got four guys on Austria. They're able to give you 12 plus points per game. You've been without, though, one of your main low post players in Abiyama Iola. He has been able to give the team seven boards per game. He has been out of the fold recently. Did wind up returning in that game against Bucknell. Wound up having 18 minutes, so it seems like he's going to be back at about a 75% clip, so I've got him factored in for about three-fourths of what I would typically give Hofstra when he's in there. When it comes to Gala Burgess, he has been able to give the team three and a half assists while scoring 0.7 points per game. That is a very odd line, but you do take a look at Stony Brook. They've got a little bit more depth. I like what you're able to get out of Anthony Roberts. 15 points per game. He's been able to let it fly at right around 81% of the free throw line. Only about 29% from three-point range as well, but 
And take a look at him recently. 19 plus points in now four out of the team's last six games to Kai Green. He's been able to give the team nine points, seven boards, and then Jaleel Jenkins, the transfer from Fairleigh Dickinson. He has been fairly good for this team. He has been able to give the team 12.5 points per game, only doling out right around 2.5 assists per game, but he seems to be doing better and better in this offense. 12 plus points in each of the team's last four games. And I do think that you're probably going to be dealing with a situation which Elijah Olenee is out of the fold, but Frankie Porcelli, I think, is going to be able to have a big game himself. Frankie Porcelli has been able to give the team right around. 8 points, 4.5 boards after he had 11 points per game. Should see added minutes. I think that he's going to be effective in those. So it's a spot in which I do think that Stony Brook is going to be able to hold up on their home floor. I'm going to be taking them on the money line as I made them a 1 point favorite. Set so the total of 141 as well. You've got a Hobster team that they don't play fast, they don't play slow, they're relatively efficient. But I think that Stony Brook is going to look to try to slow this game down a little bit more, especially with Elijah Olini so on the fold. So going to be taking a look at the under and I'm going to be taking a look at Stony Brook on the money line. 306047, 048, you've got Florida, and they're going to be playing us in North Florida. Mighty Mighty Osprey are anywhere between 23.5 and 24.5 point underdogs, and your tallest game is anywhere between 139 and 139.5. We all remember what happened when Florida was this size of a favorite a few days ago. I don't think that they're going to be losing once again outright in this spot, but I certainly do think that this line is a little bit too high. Set Florida as a 21 point favorite. When it comes to North Florida, you've had Carter Hendrickson as a 6'7 combo player be able to give this team 11.5 points per game. He's chipping in there 4.5 boards, and it's really where the this team is going to lose the battle because right now he's leading the team with his four and a half rebounds per game. You've been able to get right around eight points, four boards out of Jaden Parker, which has been able to help this team out a little bit. But if you're North Florida, you're going to need to bury some threes. They're shooting as a collective 36% from three, 74.5% the free throw line, 16 turnovers is a little bit unsightly. Florida, not a team that necessarily generates a bunch of seals, but Colin Castleton should have its way down low. 14 and a half points, nine and a half boards, three blocks per game. He has been superb for this team. Now, when it comes to three point shooting, Florida only shooting 31% from three. That is a little bit of an issue. They've been able to pick pocket a little bit better this year. They're only turning the ball over 12 and a half times themselves. Flandarius Fleming along with Marion Jones are combining for 21 points per game. Both of these guys giving you right around three and a half boards per game and a combined three steals per game. So I do give them some credit. Brandon McKissick has really been one of the top three point shooters for the team. Eight and a half points per game. You need a little bit more out of CJ Felder in my opinion, but I do take a look at Jose Placer. He's been able to reduce the turnovers for North Florida. He's had a combined two turnovers in the last two games, which is very solid because at the beginning of the year was a little bit sloppy with the ball. Still only shooting about 27.5% for three after he shot 38% last season, but I do think that Florida going to be able to control the tempo in this game. North Florida is a team that's looking to play a little bit faster, but at the same time, certainly not a team that is necessary to efficient. I do think that things are going to get a little bit sloppy in this game, so set Florida as a 21-point favorite and this total 135, so taking the points and the under. 306-049, 306-050. You've got Wagner, and they are going to be hitting the road to face off against Penn State. Penn State has found themselves a 9-point favorite with your Toronto's game and anywhere between 127.5 and 128. Set Wagner as a 11.5 point underdogs just because with Wagner, they did look much more effective in their last game, but it is a program that has been dealing with some COVID-19 protocols a couple guys that have been in isolation so that winds hurting you a little bit when it comes to Penn State. This has been a very dominant defense, so Wagner is not a team that is looking to get out there and run. I do think that Penn State is going to be able to win the battle down low with John Arar, giving you 11 points, 11 boards per game. Now, this is not a team that they're necessarily going to get a bunch of blocks. As a matter of fact, their 1.6 blocks per game was one of the lowest marks out there in college basketball, but it's Sam Session has been able to shoot 43% from three, 88% at the free throw line. He's been able to give the team 13 points per game, more like 78% at the free throw line, as more around 89% is Jaheim Cornwall. Cornwall has been able to give the team only about 4.5 points per game, but he's not seeing added minutes as this is a Penn State team that they have really not been playing too fast, but Seth Lundy, they have been able to get 15 points, six boards out of him as well. 
When it comes to a little bit of a short staff team with right around seven players, they're able to play minutes. You need some versatility, and Jalen Pickett has been able to deliver that. 11.5 points, 4.5 boards, 4.5 assists, so that has been rock solid. Then you take a look at Wagner. They've been playing with a couple guys down as well, which has been a little bit of an issue. Now, seems like darn near everyone aside from Delon Hunt is back for the team. Alex Morales is able to give you 18 points, 8.5 boards whenever he's been out there. Elijah Ford, 11.5 points per game. Now, three-point shooting for the team has always been a woe. They've shot right around 30% last season. They're shooting right around 30% this season, but you've been able to get right around four assists, double-digit amount of points out of Will Martinez, but just don't have a lot of sides when it comes to the team. I think that they're just going to get plowed down low. Raekwon Rogers has been able to give you four and a half boards per game, but aside from Morales, you don't have a lot down low, and I think that that is going to be what winds up turning this game for Penn State. Wind up setting Penn State as an 11 and a half point favorite. Set this all at 125 as well. I expect a very slow slog, so we're taking this under, and I'm going to be laying the points here with Penn State. 306-051-306-052. Delaware is going to be playing us to Lafayette. The Leopards are finding themselves as a 12.5 point underdog with your total between 140 and 140.5 when it comes to Delaware. Set them as a 15 point favorite when it comes to Lafayette. They were able to go on the road and got a win against Rutgers, but I think that that says a little bit more about Rutgers than it does anything else because this is a Lafayette team that you do have Leo O'Boyle. He's been able to do a very good job. O'Boyle rules as he's able to give you 11.5 points per game and he's able to shoot 36 percent from three-point range. Now, you take a look at Lafayette. They're shooting as a collective about 73.5% at the free-throw line, which is rock solid. And what I do like for this team, the 12 points and six half boards you're able to get out of Kyle Jenkins. Jenkins has been able to do a nice job shooting about 36% from three-point range, but one of the least efficient defenses in all of college basketball. That despite seven-footer Neil Quinn being Mr. Do-It-All for this team. 11 points, eight boards, four and a half assists, a seal, and one and a half blocks per game. But when it comes to Delaware, I think that they're going to be able to overwhelm them in the backcourt. You've had Ryan Allen along with Kevin Anderson be able to combine for 27 points per game with Allen. It is someone that has been dealing with a little bit of ailment this year. It seems like he's been affected a little bit with 11 points or fewer and now four of the team's last five games, but still a guy that's able to dole out a couple of assists, does a good job on the defensive end, and overall for the year, still shooting 40% for three. Dylan Painter is able to give this team 13.5 points, 6.5 rebounds per game, and then Jameer Nelson Jr. is able to help this team out in the backcourt as well. 12.5 points, five boards, two assists, a not-so-great three-point shooter at 30%, but I do think that you've got much better depth when it comes to this Delaware team. I think that they're going to be able to do a good job of being able to take care of the ball right around 14 and a half turnovers is what they've been averaging, but you've got a Lafayette bunch that they just do not generate steals to save their lives. So I do think that Delaware is going to be able to mask their deficiencies and be able to get the job done in the spot by double digits, set them as a 15-point favorite. Made the total 143 as well, so I'm going to be taking the over, and I'm going to be laying it here with the blue end. Serial 6053, 3 of 6054. Wofford is going to be hitting the road off against Gardner-Webb. Gardner-Webb is finding themselves as a 3 to 3.5 point underdog, and your tallest game is anywhere between 130. 7.5 at 138. It comes to the spot. Set Wofford as a 5.5 point favorite. With regards to Gardner-Webb, I was expecting a little bit more out of the backcourt than what we have been able to see this season. When it comes to Gardner-Webb, you do have a guy that's able to give you darn near 14.5 points per game into Marion Williams. Williams is someone that from three-point range is hitting at a clip of about 34%. 90% the free-throw line as well, but as a collective. Gardner-Webb shooting about 29.5% from three. 66.7% the free-throw line. 14 turnovers per game. A big reason why you just haven't been able to get a lot out of Jordan Sears. Sears as a freshman was able to wow with 40% three-point shooting, 85% the free-throw line, 9.5 points per game. He's regards this year. Nine points, three boards, three assists, shooting 28% from three-point range. Yeah, you do have a guy down low giving you 2.3 blocks per game and Kareem Reed along with 13 points, five and a half boards, and you do have a guy that's able to chip in their 12 points in line stereo. Last year shot 44% from three. Sub 20% this season. Max Gleesmith on the other end for Wofford. He has been tremendous. He has been able to give the same 15 points per game down low. You've got B.J. Mack, 14 points, five boards, and then you've got Ryan 
Larson just does it all. 11 points, 3.5 boards, 4 assists, shooting over 50% from 3-point range. Wofford has a collective, shoots 35% from 3, 76.5% the free throw line. They've done a good job of being able to pickpocket as well. Right around 8.5 seals per game. I think that this is just a deadly... I guess you could call it concoction for Gardner-Webb. Set Gardner-Webb as a five and a half point favorite, so I'm willing to lay here with the Terriers of Wofford. And when it comes to the total, set it at a 134 and a half. You've got a Wofford team that plays slow, but they are very efficient. They aren't afraid to take the run-out layup when they wind up getting it off a turnover, so I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and I'm going to be taking Wofford in this spot as well. We move on to 306-055, 306-056. Miami is going to be playing us at Lipscomb. Lipscomb is a 13 and a half point underdog with your total between 150 and a half and 151 and a half. This summer has been shaded a little bit because in a normal spot, I'd be setting Lipscomb as more around a 9 and to a 10-point underdog in this spot. I have shifted it to 12 and a half, so I'm still going to be taking a look at Lipscomb, but what is big for this Lipscomb team is the fact that they are without their most versatile player and the, one of their top scorers, as you've been able to get darn near 17 points per game, right around 9 rebounds out of Asan Asadula. He has been absolutely tremendous for this team. Looks like he's going to be out of the fold once again for this bunch, and without him in the fold, they haven't necessarily been the same. Now, the good news is, they do have Jacob Onyesevich. He's been able to give the team 18 and a half points, 5 boards. That actually comes from Chibor in Wisconsin and is shooting over 60% from three-point range as a 6'7 combo player, but you take a look outside of that, you need Parker Hazen to be able to step up 8.5 points, right around 5.5 rebounds per game. Greg Jones has been able to give the team 10.5 points per game as well. It's been really feast or famine with him. He's had double digits in now four of the team's last six games, but he wound up having a zero in there as well, so it's not necessarily great. KJ Johnson has been able to give the team 8 points per game and for Lipscomb, they are shooting 41% from three, 75% the free-throw line, where they really lack with Asadula the fold is on the defensive side of things. And then you've got Cam Agusti on the other end for Miami. He's been able to give the team 17 points per game. He and Isaiah Wong have been Mr. Right for this team as Wong is chipping in their 15 points. They're combining for right around 11 boards, 4 assists per game. Now, neither of these guys shoot well from 3 with Miami. They shoot as collective 31% for 3. Sam Wardenberg, the 6 foot 10 combo player, has really been their best 3-point shooter at 8.5 points per game, shooting 45.5% for 3, but he also doesn't have a lot of rebounding. Cam Agusti is the only guy that's given this team more than 5 rebounds per game. You're going to need to get a little bit more out of Anthony Walker, so even with Asadula out of the fold, I still like Lipscomb being able to catch 13 points here. When it comes to the total, I think the Miami is going to play really stinking slow with regards to Lipscomb. I think that they're going to find a little bit more on defense without Asadula in the fold. They've had to shift down their tempo as well, so it's a spot in which I wound up setting the total more around at 137, so I'm taking a look at the under to go along with the points with Lipscomb. 306-057, 306-058. St. Francis is going to be hitting the road to face off against St. Peter's. The Peacocks are finding themselves as a 13 and point favorite in your total on scheme. It is 133 to 133 and a half. Set this total at 134. So I'm going to be taking a look at the over when it comes to St. Francis. This is just a putrid defense right now. And when it comes to St. Peter's, they aren't necessarily great themselves, but I set them as a 14 point favorite just because St. Francis is looking like a bottom 25 team in all of college basketball right now. With St. Francis, you've had Patrick Emelin be able to give you 11.5 points, 5.5 boards, and you've been able to get 11.5 points, 5.5 boards out of Michael Cummins as well. Problem is, these two guys are combining to shoot 11% from three-point range. As a collective, St. Francis, shooting 26% from three, 66% the free-throw line, 38% overall with 14.5 turnovers per game. Now, they do wind up generating nearly 8.5 seals per game. Cubbage as they give you right around 2.5 seals per game as well. You're going to need someone like a Larry Moreno to be able to step up, though. And then when it comes to St. Peter's, Casey Undefu has not looked like the same guy from last year. Undefu 
last year, led the league in all of college basketball with regards to blocks with right around three and a half per contest, but has this year been just doing a little bit more of this and that. Eight points, five boards, two assists, a seal and a half, and still two blocks per game, but take a look at Darius Banks, Doug Eggert, and Fusani Drame. These three guys are combined for about 31 points per game. Drame right around eight boards. These three guys are combined to shoot about 36% from three-point range. You've been able to get darn near six and a half points per game out of Jalen Murray as well. He's been able to come on as a freshman shooting 50% from three. He's had double figures in two out of the last four games as well. I think that St. Peter's is going to do a good job of shutting down St. Francis. St. Francis is facing off against a very slow St. Peter's team, but I don't think that they're going to be able to put the ball in the basket. I think that St. Peter's is going to be turning them over. I think it's going to be a little bit of an eyesore, but St. Peter's gets enough open looks to be able to hit the over, and I think that they win this game by 14. So, lane 13 and a half here with St. Peter's, and taking a look at the over. 306059, 306060. You've got yourself Fairfield, and the Stags are going to be playing against the Holy Cross. Holy Cross are holy awful, and they're 14 and a half point underdogs with your total 140. Now, I think we went a little bit too far with Holy Cross. I wound up saying them as an 11 point underdog, and I thought that that was being a little bit disrespectful. So, we're going to be taking 14 and a half here when it comes to Holy Cross. They do have Jarrell Gates back in full, the guy that's able to give the team right around six half rebounds per game. Wound up missing the first couple games of the season, so him being back in the fold should be able to help rectify some of their issues a little bit. Now, when it comes to Fairfield, I do like what you're able to get out of quite a bit of this backcourt. Jake Wojcik along Taj Betting, both giving you 11.5 points per game, and you're also getting 11 points per game out of a little bit of a unheralded player, Mr. Long, as well. You've got Wojcik and Benning being able to give you a combined nine and a half rebounds per game. Both of these guys combined shoot about 33% from three-point range. Long shooting about 43% from distance. Asus Cruz has been able to give you nine points per game. He's shooting over 40% from three-point range. And then you've got six and a half points, over 40% three-point shooting, and darn near 94% free throw shooting out of Caleb Green as well. Then you take a look at the flip side for Holy Cross. And you do have Judson. Martindale has been able to give you 12 and a half points per game, five boards, shooting 40% from three range with a little bit of size, so that is going to be able to help out this team. Now, Holy Cross, they have been terrible on the defensive side of the ball. No offense or buts about it, but they also play very slow. Fairfield is a team that they control their tempo as well, but I think it's going to be key for Holy Cross being able to do a solid job on the glass with Gates back. I think that they're going to be able to do that. They also get five boards right around four and a half points per game out of Caleb Kenny as well. Six foot five freshman. They will come through for this team a little bit, and then you've been able to get darn near 12 points per game out of Kyrell Lutz as well. He's been able to shoot 47% from three, and Holy Cross as a collective shoots 37 and a half percent from three. I think that you're going to see a little bit of a sloppier game. Holy Cross, they turn the ball over 15 times per game. Holy Cross, they themselves get a couple steals. Fairfield doesn't necessarily get those steals. So I do think that Holy Cross is going to be able to hold in this game. Set Fairfield as 11-point favorite. So taking 14 and a half here with Holy Cross. It said this all at 133. So diving under as well. 306-061, Binghamton is going to be playing with Samaris. The Foxes find themselves anywhere between two and a half and three and a half point favorites in your total game. Is anywhere between 130 and a half and 131. Made this line three. Here between two and a half and three and a half. I would take the two and a half before I'd wind up taking the three and a half. I would rather lay two and a half with Maris rather than take three and a half with Binghamton, if that makes sense. But here in this spot, if you're getting two and a half or lower, I advise Maris at three and a half or higher. Then it becomes a play on Binghamton. But I take a look at this spot and I do think that Maris has a good chance of being able to win this game by more than three rather than Binghamton being able to hang in this game. Because with Binghamton, it certainly is a team in which they've been having some moving parts, to say the least. When it comes to Binghamton, you've been able to get right around 11.5 points per game out of Tyler Bertram. You've got Oge Holy Okwavo who's been able to give you only about 5 boards per game. Matt Hermesy down low for Maris. He's been able to give the team 6 boards per game. And Maris has actually pumped up their tempo a little bit. They're not fast, but they're right around like 220th in the country with regards to possessions per game. And you got two guys doing a good job for this team of being able to chip in their production as you've been able to get right around 13 points per game out of Raheem Sullivan. And then top scorer Ricardo Wright right around 15.5 points per game. These two guys 
Maris combining for seven boards. Wright is shooting 42% for three. Maris, not necessarily great at the free throw line, so sees 7.5%, but you take a look at Binghamton. I was expecting a lot more out of George Tinsley. As a freshman, he was very solid for this team. He's now become an afterthought. Six points, four boards per game. He's shooting 15% for three. Binghamton, they don't hit their free throws either. 65% at the free throw line. They do generate 7.5 steals per game, which is something that is solid. And you've got Dan Petcash, who's right now shooting 71% from three. He's only played in three games, so it's a small sample size. 11.5 points per game. That's going to be able to help out Binghamton a little bit, but I just question how much that's going to be able to do for this team. You've got a lot of guys like Jonathan McGriff, who has been a little bit banged up. I believe that he wanted missing the last game for this team. Jacob Falco has come in from Gardner-Webb. Seven points, four boards. I was expecting a little bit more out of him. Binghamton not going to be able to win the battle down low, in my opinion. Maris is a team that they play a lot of isolation, but I think against Binghamton, that's going to work. Here in this spot, would be willing to lay the two and a half here with Maris, and when it comes to this total, setting at 133.5. Maris is playing a little bit faster. Binghamton just not efficient on defense in general, so taking a look at the over, I'm looking to lay two and a half or lower here with Maris. 306-063, 306-064. You've got St. Pond Adventure, and they're going to be playing us Loyola, Maryland. Maryland of Loyola is finding themselves 18 to 19 point underdogs. Your total on this game is anywhere between 134.5 and 135. Set the Bonnies as a 15 and a half point favorite. I think that they should be a relatively sizable favorite, but what I really have an issue with when it comes to the Bonnies is that this is a team that has started really, really slow in so many of their games this year, so I do think that that is going to cause for a little bit of a sweat. Now, you've got Oshun Oshuni down low for this team. He has been able to do an absolutely masterful job. He's been able to give the team multiple blocks per game. He's chipping in there 10 and a half points, 7 and a half boards, so I do like what he's able to bring to the table, but this is also a team that in their last game, they wound up playing without Kyle Lofton. Now, it sounds like Lofton is going to be able to return after Christmas, but problem is this game is going to be played on Wednesday, so he is going to be out of the fold in this one, and that's very big because he right now leads the team in assists. He's been able to do a good job with regards to being able to put up there right around 17 points per game. Now, they were able to persevere without him in their last game against Buffalo, but Having to cover this big of a number is something that I would not want to be having any part of when it comes to Loyal Maryland. You don't have a ton down low. You've got Golden DK who's been able to get the team seven boards right around only four points per game. But Cameron Spencer has really become a player for this team. How about 19 points, four and a half boards, three assists per game. Three-point shooting is down, but he does a good job of not turning the ball over. Right around 3.7 assists, 0.8 turnovers, 2.3 steals per game. So efficiency is there when it comes to this Loyal Maryland team. Kenny Jones has been able to have an assist to turnover ratio of two. Now you do take a look at Someone like a Jaron Holmes, Jalen Attaway. These two guys are combined to be able to give you 30 points per game, shooting about 37% from three-point range. But I do take a look at the spot, even though St. Bonaventure is shooting 80% the free throw line and only turning the ball over 10 times per game, I think that their backcourt is going to be going through a little bit of transition. I think that this is still going to be a very low and slow team, and I think the Bonnies actually slow down with this injury. So, set this total of 131.5, diving under. When it comes to Bonnies, only was willing to lay up to 15.5 here with the injury. So, taking 18 to 19 here with Loyola Maryland. 306065. 6066 Boston U. It's going to be playing also UMass Lowell. Lowell is finding themselves as a 6 to 6 half point underdog with your total on this game 134.5 to 135. Maybe Boston U a 9 point favorite. I do like what I'm seeing out of this Boston U team. You've got Walter White, the mad scientist who's been able to give the team 13 points per game while he's been out there. Problem is, he's been out of the fold, but even with them out, you do have a guy in Javante McCoy, chipping in there 18.5 points per game, shooting 56% from three-point range. Sukmail Mathan down low is able to give you nine boards. He's chipping in there 12.5 points per game. Meanwhile, you do take a look at this UMass Lowell team, and you do have Connor Withers coming back, a guy that was able to average double figures last year. This year, he has played in just one game. Most recently, wanted coming back against that Merrimack game, so he was able to have 10 points in that game. That should be able to help 
help out this little team. Now, you take a look at low line, you've got nothing down low. Max Brooks has been able to give you five rebounds per game. Justin Fazion, though, he has been able to come in from the non-D1 level. He's looked solid. Nine points, right around three boards, three assists, not shooting well from three-point range. You do take a look at Everett Hammond, the USC upstate transfer. He's been able to go up with his production. 11 points, he's been able to shoot about 33% from three, but when it comes to UMass, they shoot 26.5% from three. Boston U has done a solid job of being able to bottle teams up. Lowell as well, 14 and after an over three game. Boston U has done a great job of not turning the ball over themselves. Now, UMass Lowell, they're able to generate some turnovers in Boston U. Certainly is a team that's looking to play a little bit slower. I think that things wind up getting sloppy, but I do think that for Boston U, I think that they're going to be able to win the battle on the glass. That is going to be able to allow them to win this game. And Jonas Harper is someone that I think is going to be able to come on strong for the team. A guy that had nine points, five boards in their most recent game against Binghamton. A guy that last year shot 36% from three with right around eight and a half points per game. I think that he's going to be an X factor. So, won't delay up to nine here when it comes to Boston U. And when it comes to the total, wind up setting the total more around a 129. So, diving under as well. 306-067-306-068. You've got American, and they're going to be playing us to St. Francis of Pennsylvania. St. Francis is finding themselves as a three-point favorite in your total on this game, anywhere between 146.5 and 147. We flip a rooney this one. I made American a three-point favorite, so I'm going to be digging them on the money line. When it comes to American, you certainly have your deficiencies when it comes to the team, but Stacey Becton Jr. I think is going to be the best peer scorer out there on the floor. To so be able to give the team right around 35% three-point shooting with 13.5 points, 4.5 boards per game. Now with American, you don't have a lot of rebounding. Meanwhile, for St. Francis, you've got Josh going along with Mark Flagg, both being able to give you right around a combined 13 rebounds per game with Cone. He's been able to chip in there 11.5 points per game. But you do have a St. Francis team that they play up-tempo. They force eight steals per game. They don't turn the ball over a lot. Shoot 32% from three. Ramir Dixon-Conover, 14 points, 5.5 boards, 4 assists. He's been able to do a solid job of being able to generate right around two steals per game. And then you've been able to get right around 13 points per game out of Ronell Giles as well. But I do take a look at American. I think he's going to be key for them. Johnny O'Neal. He is someone that has given the team 8.5 points per game. Shooting in the low 30s for three-point range. A guy with size that is able to stretch the floor. 10 points, four boards out of Matt Rogers has been solid. He's a 6'9 combo player as well with American. They shoot about 66% the free throw line. That's a little bit of a deficiency, but I do think that you are going to be able to get something out of Connor Nelson as well. Someone that wanted to deal with injury at the beginning of the year. Seems like he's getting healthier and healthier. Someone that last year had 6.5 points, 6.5 boards per game. So I think that that'll help American be able to play even up on the glass. I think that American is going to do a good job of being able to force a couple turnovers in this spot. So said American as a three-point favorite, taking them on the money line. St. Francis has been playing very fast. American, they're looking to play a little bit more controlled. I think that American gets their tempo set. This all at 145, so diving under as well. 306-069, North Alabama is going to be playing us to Alabama A&M. A&M is finding themselves anywhere between 7.5 and 8-point underdogs. With your total on this game, 135.5. I said North Alabama is a 12.5-point favorite. North Alabama wound up dealing with a couple ailments at the beginning of the year, but I think that they should be closer to full health in this game. And when it comes to North Alabama, what you do have for this team is a guy in Daniel Ortiz who has come in and has been able to give the team 11.5 points per game, shooting 55% from three-point range, 14-plus points, and now three of the team's last four games now. Jalen Johnson on the other end for Alabama A&M, 15 points, 7.5 boards. You've got an Alabama A&M team that is going to look to him for a little bit of versatility, shooting 50% from three for a collective that's shooting 28% from distance. Now A&M shooting 76% at the free throw line, but overall 34.3% from the floor. They only give out about 10 assists per game. They play a lot of isolation. 
situation that is not going to bode well against the North Alabama team that they do have a little bit of size and versatility. I like what you've been able to get out of Mr. Blackman as Jamari Blackman has been able to give you 10 points, 3 assists. You've got a North Alabama team shooting 80% the free throw line, 36.5% for 3. They generate those 9.5 turnovers per game as well. So that is solid CJ Brim. Right around 9 points per game. Peyton Youngblood, more like 10 points per game. You don't necessarily have dominant rebounding when it comes to the team, but when it comes to Alabama and um, other than Johnson, you don't have a lot down low for this team. You'd be able to have Garrett Hicks be able to give you 13.5 points per game. And really, aside from Mixon Johnson, nobody else on this team is giving you more than 7 points per game. Cam Tucker has been able to give out 3.5 assists per game, but still, nearly 3 turnovers per game from him as well. So I do think that Alabama and him, just a bad matchup here for this game. I think that North Alabama is going to be able to take it to them. Willing to lay up to 12.5 with North Alabama, so going to be laying the points. Set this all at 134 as well. I think that a and going to have some turnovers in this game and just bad shooting in general, so diving under. 306-072, 306-072. is going to be playing us at Jacksonville State. Jacksonville State is an 8.5 point underdog with your total on this game, 123.5. I said the total at 122. VCU has been playing very slow, and it has been an eyesore to watch this team this season as they have been dealing with all sorts of injuries, and I think that's going to be another long one here. Vince Williams has really been the top scorer for VCU. He's been able to shoot about 31.5% from three-point range, five boards, 11.5 points per game. Saad Ward is able to give you five boards per game as well, but I think that Jacksonville State is going to be able to do a nice job down low. you got Mr. Do-It-All and Darian Adams. He's been able to give the team 15 points, 4.5 boards, 4.7 assists, 1.6 steals, shooting 40% from three-point range. And then you've got Mr. 50% from three-point range in Jalen Gibbs, who winds coming in from Mount St. Mary's, giving you 11 points per game. Brandon Uffman, right around 10.6 boards per game. You've been able to get 9.6 half boards out of Kane Henry as well. Jacksonville State as a collective, shooting 42.5% from three. Now, I do think that VCU is certainly going to be seeing a little bit of dip in that three-point shooting percentage. VCU has been able to do a great job with regards to that. And Jacksonville State, they do turn the ball over 16 times per game. When you take a look at VCU, they've been generating right around nine seals per game, so that's going to bode in their favor a little bit. But with VCU, was expecting a lot more of Marcus Sionis, the transfer from Washington. Thus far, he's been able to give the team 4.5 points, and he's shooting 26% for 3 for a VCU bunch that they turned the ball over 16 times per game. 62% free throw shooting team with 29% 3-point shooting, so I think you're going to see a slow and grimy game. I think that VCU has enough talent to be able to win the game, but I set them as a 7-point favorite, so taking the 8.5 here with Jacksonville State. Set this total at 122. I recognize it's a low total, but it's very appropriate. Taking the under. 306-073, 306-074. Alabama State is going to be playing us a Samford. Samford is a 5-point road favorite with your total on this game. 150.5. When it comes to Stanford set them as an 8.5 point favorite. Alabama State has actually been able to play some relatively respectable basketball recently, but I do take a look at this Alabama State team they might be in over their head a little bit too much in this spot because with Sanford. I like Queens Glover. He winds up coming in from Florida. 19 points, 3 boards, 4.5 assists, shoots in the mid-30s from 3-point range with a steal and a half per game. You just don't have that in this Alabama State backcourt now. Gerald Liddell is a former top 100 recruit that comes in from Texas. He's been able to give the team 11 points, 5 boards. He's been shooting 42% per 3. Alabama State is collective, shooting 33.5% per 3, but 18.5 turnovers per game against a Sam I Amford team that they are generating 9 steals per game. Sanford has been able to shoot 30 5% for three. They themselves are turning the ball over right around 17 times per game, but you do have a duo that's able to give you right in the neighborhood about 24 points per game in Jermaine Marshall, and Marshall's able to give you right around 8.5 points per game along Jaden Campbell. These two guys have been rock solid. Campbell shooting 38.5% for three, and Jacob Tyron is someone that's 6'11", is able to give the same 8.5 points, 6 boards, shoots 52% from three-point range. Cooper Kafis winds up coming in from Loyola, Chicago. He's been able to give the team 7.5 points per game as well. Sanford just has a lot of weapons. And with Alabama State, it's a team that's been dealing with a little 
little bit of injury as Trace Young has been missing for the last four games. He was given the team 11 points, four boards, a guy that was shooting about 85% the free throw line as a collective. Alabama State shooting about 67.5% at the free throw line. So that's been a little bit of a loss. And you've been without Christian McCray for a few games as well. He came back against Dayton. He's been playing limited minutes for this team. So I take a look at this spot. I think that Sanford should be more like an eight and a half point favorite. So willing to lay the points. I think that you're going to get a very much an up-tempo game. Alabama State has been speeding up. Sanford has been as well. So this is all at 154 and a half. So going over 306 or 75, 306 or 76. Bryant is going to be playing us to New Hampshire. New Hampshire is a one point underdog in your talents game is 139. New Hampshire has been playing very slow this year. I think that that's going to wind up being a little bit different in this game. I do think that you're going to be seeing a bunch of New Hampshire that's going to be getting more to, I would say, like more of the bottom third of college basketball with regards to tempo rather than in the like bottom 30, which they are right now. You take a look at New Hampshire and you do have some good pieces when it comes to the team. Jaden Martinez does it all. 19 points, 9 boards, shooting 44% from three-point range. And then you take a look at what you're able to get out of him well, along with Nick Gudorama. Gudorama, 11 points, 5.5 boards, 3.5 assists. He has been sought. And then, this is always a tough name to say. Blandu Shakungo. He's been able to give the team 12 points, 4 boards, 4.5 assists, and shoot 37% from 3. If you think I guessed on that last name, you bet your butt I did. But you've also got Quan Murphy. He's been able to come in. He's been able to give the team right around 7 points per game, shooting 40% from 3. New Hampshire, they turn the ball over 8 times per game, which is really impressive. Brian, they themselves are not a team that they necessarily go for too many seals. They've turned the ball over right around 15 times per game, but the good news is New Hampshire doesn't force a lot of seals. This is a Brian team that they're looking to play up-tempo themselves, and I think that they're going to get their style. It's been really tough for Peter Kiss thus far, shooting 24% for three, four and a half turnovers per game, but it's still giving the team 19 points, five boards per game. I think that they're going to be able to do a good job down low. You've got Chris Childs and Charles Pride being able to combine for 25 points per game. Pride, seven and a half boards per game. You've got Childs shooting 39% for three, and Hal Olaseas, I think, is going to be the X factor. Three and a half blocks per game, nine points per game. Greg Kexlicksey, who winds up coming in for George Mason, has only been able to give the team right around three boards per game. I think that he's going to be able to emerge, and Lucas Harto has wound up coming in. He's been able to give the team only about two and a half points per game, but his five boards per game have been relatively solid. He's able to dole out three assists per game as well. It does a little things to be able to free up guys like Peter Kiss, and I do think that those shots are going to fall for Brian. Set them as a four-point favorite. Made this total 142, as I do think that you're going to get some late game following as well, so laying it here with Brian and taking the over. 306-077, Louisiana is going to be playing us to McNeese 8. McNeese 8 has find themselves as a 14-point underdog with your total on game 147. When it comes to turnovers on a per-possession basis, McNeese 8 has been one of the lesser teams up there in all of college basketball, but they do have the med- Medley of Bacon on their team. That would be Brendan Medley Bacon. He has been absolutely tremendous for this bunch. At right around seven foot one, he's able to give the team 11 points, six half boards, a little bit over a block and a steal per game. He's a very good defensive player. A guy that is a little bit of a project on offense, and he does wind up picking up a lot of fouls. So that's going to be an issue, especially when you're going up against Jordan Brown, a former McDonald's All-American that's shipping in their 12.7 half boards. When it comes to Louisiana, despite the fact that they played quite a few unders, they have been in the top 10 with regards to possessions per game. Big reason why they've been not playing a lot of overs. 17 turnovers per game. I think that they're going to be able to lock in against a McNeese State team that they do try to force a couple turnovers. I don't think that they're necessarily going to be expecting the athletes that are going to be coming at them. Theo Akwuba, 10 points, 8 boards, a block per game from him. And then you've got Kobe Julian giving you 8.5 points per game. He's been shooting poorly from 3-point range, but that is why you've got Greg Williams Jr. along with Kentrell Garnett. They're combining to shoot 47% from 3. Both guys are giving you 8.5 points per game. So that is going to be able to help this team out when it comes to McNeese State's backcourt. Certainly has been a little bit of a hodgepodge. You've got TJ Moss who winds up coming in from South 
Carolina, he's been able to give the team eight points per game, shooting 35% from three. You need a little bit more out of Miles Lewis, though. The VMI transfer last year shot 43% from three with 10.5 points, 7.5 rebounds out there in the SoCon. So far this year, 10.5 points and five boards, but shooting 20% from three, McNeese State, shooting 28.5% from three, and 58% at the free throw line. I do think that that is going to cost them a little bit. It's a big reason why I set Louisiana as a 15-point favorite in the spot. Set this all at 157. I think that Louisiana going to continue on their up-tempo style, and I think that they're going to be able to get more open shots and turn the ball over less in this game. So going over and landed here with Louisiana. 3 of 6, 0 of 79, 3 of 6, 0 of 80. Texas A&M Corpus Christi is going to be playing us the UTU Rio Grande Valley. Grande Valley is finding themselves a 2 to 2 and a half point underdog with your total 152. When it comes to UT Rio, I wound up setting them as a 1 and a half point favorite. The Vaqueros, I think I said that one incorrectly. They have been able to do a relatively solid job of being able to kick things up tempo. This is a team in which they've got a guy that's averaging darn near 20 points per game to be able to carry this team in Justin Johnson. Johnson has also been able to give the team 6 and a half boards, 2 and a half assists, shooting 52% from 3 point range. Last time they wound up facing off against Corpus Christi, it was an 83-77 to loss on December 1st, so very flesh wound there, but he had 33 points and 8 boards in that game. The problem was, he also had 7 turnovers in that game. He's had 4 plus turnovers in now 3 of the team's last 4 games, but take a look at Corpus Christi. They are generating some steals, but at the same time, they've been a little bit hit or miss when it comes to their offense. I was expecting a little bit more out of San Antonio Brinson. The transfer from NJIT has only been able to give the team 7 points, 4.5 boards per game. He wound up missing that game against Grand Valley. It looks like he's going to be out of the fold once again for this team. Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, they're turning the ball over right around 14.5 points per game. I will say that Miles Smith has been able to emerge for this team. He's been able to chip in there right around 10.5 points per game, shooting 34.5% from three-point range two seasons ago. Actually shot 41% from three-point range. And the headliner for this team has been Isaac Mushila. He has been able to give the team 15.5 points, 9.5 boards. Not a great three-point shooter, but is able to pop it from three. It's given the team 18-plus points in now three of the team's last four games. But when it comes to Grand Valley, what I think is going to be very big for this team is just being able to do a good job on glass. Mike Adewanimi, 9.7 boards after coming over from SIU Edwardsville. You've got a Grand Valley team that they are shooting about 34% from three-point range, but Ricky Nelson, his emergence after being more of a pass-first guy into now being a guy that's giving you 12 points, 4.5 assists per game, I think it's critical. I think it's the reason why Grand Valley wins this game outright. I'm taking UT Rio on the money line. Set this total at 145.5. I think the things are going to be reined in a little bit more with Corpus Christi because I don't think that they're going to be able to force as many steals as they've been getting in past games, and and Corpus Christi, they wound up having a tough one against Grand Valley the last time they played in. Really, aside from that, they've been playing like lesser competition, so this is a little bit of a step up. So, taking Grand Valley on the money line and the under 3 of 6081, 3 of 6082. Georgetown is going to be playing us to UMBC. UMBC is a 7 point underdog with your total anywhere between 150 and a half and 151. UMBC has already taken down Pittsburgh. I don't know if they're going to be able to take down Georgetown. I set Georgetown as a 7.5 point favorite. I recognize that this is a Georgetown team that they have been far from great thus far this year, but you still do have Amino Muhammad, who I think is going to be able to win the battle down low. He's been able to give the team 14.5 points right around 8 boards per game. Now you've got Keandre Kennedy on the other end for UMBC. Kennedy right around 4.5 rebounds per game, shooting 45.5% from 3-point range. You need a little bit more out of LJ Owens along with Ray Selnov though. These two guys are combining for 16 points per game. You've got both of these guys combining to shoot about 32% from 3. Now Darnell Rogers, the guy that stands like five foot two, he has been amazing, making 92% of his free throws. He's getting a seal and a half per game, 13 points, right around 4 assists. You don't necessarily have a ton down low when it comes to this team as well. Jacob Bonyasev, he winds coming in from American, 6 points, 4 and a half boards, an okay 3-point shooter, but I will say for UMBC, 82% free throw shooting team. That certainly helps them out, but Georgetown as well. You've got a bunch of, they're shooting 36.5% from 3, right around 70% at the free throw line. You've got Donald Carey, 
who has been able to give the team 13.5 points, 5 boards per game. Dante Harris joins him out there in the backcourt as a main facilitator. Both of these guys combined for about 8 assists per game. And then I do like what you're able to get out of the Citadel transfer, Caden Rice. He's been able to come up from a very much lower level and has been able to give the team 12 points. He's shooting from 3-point range, 38%. I do think that this is going to be a relatively high-scoring game. Set this total out of 149. I think that it's a spot in which you're going to see both teams be able to bury threes, but UMBC at their core. They have been a little bit of a slower team. I think that Georgetown is going to be able to lock down a tad more on defense. So I take a look at this spot and I'm barely under on the 151 setting this at a 149. I made Georgetown a 7.5 point favorite. So 7 is the max I'm willing to lay but I'm willing to lay the 7. And we wrap things up with 306-083, 306-084 Arkansas Pine Bluff. Going to be playing us to Arkansas State. Arkansas State is a 13 point road favorite with your total. And we're between 141.5 and 142. Pine Bluff is certainly far from the world's greatest team. I could only set them as a 10 point underdog. You take a look at Arkansas State, and they're going to have the best player down low. That'd be Norshad Omir. Average double double last season this year. 13 points, nine boards, a block and a half per game, and a seal and a half per game. But you also take a look at Pine Bluff, and you've got a guy in Sean Williams who was a starter a few years ago at East Carolina. He's shooting 37% for three, 91% the free throw line, 15 and a half points, 3.8 assists, fewer than three turnovers per game. He's been able to do a good job with an offensive Pine Bluff that, let's call it what it is, they're playing a little bit more up tempo, but they're not necessarily efficient now. They are shooting 78% at the free throw line, but the 15 turnovers per game, that needs a little bit of work. You do have Trey Sampson. He's been able to do a nice job for this team. Now, he was limited to 12 minutes in that game against Baylor. It seems like he is dealing with a little bit of an ailment. So, you want to note that 12 and a half points, five rebounds per game. But in his place, you're probably going to have Kyle Milton play a couple more minutes. The Western Kentucky transfer, 12 and a half points, three boards per game. Shooting in the low 30s from three point range, you've been able to get a little bit of something out of Bram Harris as well. He wound up taking the place of a few guys in their game against a non D1 team a few weeks ago. He wound up having 34 minutes in that game, 16.7 board so if he's needed as a 6 foot 6 combo player he has shown that he is able to put up a little bit of production and then you've also got Mr. Brandon Brown down low 9.5 points 8 boards per game a guy that's shooting 27% for 3 at 19 points in their most recent game against Baylor now you take a look at the Arkansas State backcourt and Caleb Fields has been able to do a great job for this team with right around 5.5 assists per game a guy that is shooting 45.5% for 3 with 9.5 points per game Desi Seals comes in from Arkansas very much a ball dominant guy 14.5 points 2 seals per game not a great 3 point shooter but Arkansas State as collective shoots 77% of the line, 36% from three-point range, 15 turnovers per game. That is a little bit of a concern, and you got a Pine Bluff team that they don't do a great job of being able to generate seals, but I do think that Sean Williams is going to be able to do a good job with his on-ball defending to keep this team live. I do think that this game is going to be slowed down a little bit, so set this total at a 138.5 diving under, and I'm willing to take the 13 here with Arkansas Pine Bluff set Arkansas State as a 10-point favorite, and that will wrap things up. For the Wednesday edition of Coast to Coast Soups, a big thanks to Eli Becker. He is the founder of Heat Check CBB. He joined me in the last segment. If you like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, you've got one or two ways we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GNRNRSquirty1. Keep in mind, letter CM, maybe it does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline, and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season between. I'll be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.